My next guest is somebody who I've known for the last 10 years since I've been back in the church. And when I first met him, I thought he was this very charismatic man. I still think he is. He's able to talk to a group of people of all ages and relay the message, the good message of the Bible, the, the beautiful beliefs and his passion, his charisma comes across in a way that you understand, you know what he's talking about. You know where he's, you know where he's coming from. There's never a gray area or question of what he's doing. I often tell him that, or that he should have been a pastor or even a deacon because there's deacons and pastors that I know that are, are nowhere as good as he is. And I wish that he would have, uh, uh, went down that road because I would have followed him. I would have listened to him. I would have, um, as much as I do today, whenever he speaks, I want to hear him talk because what he is saying is true. It's real. It is the correct interpretation. It is everything that I need. It fills me up. Every time he speaks, I leave there full. And every time he speaks into a group, everybody, even though it's a big group of people, People walk out saying he spoke to me and that is what it's about. That's what it is about relaying the message of about talking to people about God, Jesus, talking to people about the Bible, everything that's beautiful about the way we believe, why we believe, why we believe. And I can never tell you enough about him in this show. He only touches a little bit about what he knows. He gets into a little bit about it, but really there's so much more that if you ever get a chance to hear him talk, hear him speak, go and listen because you will not be disappointed at all. You will never walk out and be like, man, I wish you would have said more because, well, actually you would, you would, you would want to say, man, I wish you would have said more because once you hear him talk, you know that there's way more inside him. And amazing thing about it, he has no formal training inside a Catholic church. He's asked questions. He's been to lectures. He's listened and he's read millions of books about this. And everything he says is true. His interpretation is right. Even the fact that deacons in our church saying, that was that was good. That was a good job. You were right for saying what you said. This is a gift. This is a gift that only a few people have. I even want to say that he's even better than some fathers, some priests that I know that speak. And and I know quite a few. And he's even better and better than some deacons that I know. And I know a few. So when you listen to him today, when you listen to him talk on this show understand that you are listening to wisdom you are listening to to the truth to everything that you thought was about the church he knows it so ladies and gentlemen michael hoffman church table productions i'm dan lewis and this is a show that we talk about the who what where how when and why you believe what you believe today's episode this podcast this show is my one of my most favorite i've been i've been looking forward toward the show for quite some time because our very special guest today is michael hoffman hello 
Okay, and then <laughs> hello, Mike. For yeah. our uh, second time in a row is Al Peabody, my original co-host. Hey, hey, Mike. Hey, Dan. Hey, and um, huh? so today, this episode, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to because me. So I'll give you a little bit of history on Mike Hoffman. So Mike Hoffman is this very charismatic character who <laughs> who is. Uh, when I met him, I'm like, why are you not a priest? Because of how you can deliver your message, how you can speak, how you can talk, how you can connect with everybody of all ages. Why aren't you up there? Why aren't you a deacon? Or why aren't you just doing a thing? I'm like, God, oh, man, I could listen to this guy for hours. And we have. We have for, <laughs> for the last eight years of my life, I've been listening to you. And for the last, I don't know, from what I understand, 15 years? And St. Catherine's, you have been d- delivering a message that's reached people. I mean, what? Like, how long you've been doing this? Like, what's your thing? Well, I've been, I've been a, I've, I've been. Well, first of all, that was very nice of you. Very nice of you to say. I, uh, uh, I've, I've always had an ability to, uh, to be in front of an audience and hold an audience's attention. It's been a, a gift. I know I've, I've been a, well aware of, um, actually since like the sixth grade, um, and something I love to do. I always knew I would do it. Matter of fact, even from an early age, I wanted to be an actor. And I wanted to, uh, in fact, I studied it all the way up through college. Wow. And uh, I wanted to be, I, that was my goal, was to go down to Hollywood and be a movie star. And, uh, you know, I actually, there was, you know, because I grew up in California, and there were three good buddies of mine that we all went to high school with. And, and I think out of all four of us, because we all were going to graduate and then go down to L.A., I, I was in San Jose, which is uh, just so, south of San Francisco. So we are going to all move down to L.A. together and, and go make it in Hollywood. And, and out of the four of us, there was only one that actually went. And he, he's done quite well. But um, Do we know uh, him? Are you allowed to drop a name? Actually, he's, he's a writer. Okay. Yeah, he's a writer. Corey Mandel. He's, uh, he's written so many. He's been on his, his <laughs> interpretation. He's been on the bottom of the A-list forever. <laughs> but... Um, uh, his yeah, his one claim to fame was he was the writer. It says co-writer, but he was actually uh, the writer for uh, John Travolta's mega flop, Battlefield Earth. <laughs> yes, oh, so, you yeah, it was awesome. But uh, yeah, so I, I've always I've always had a, a, a love for being in front of an audience and holding their attention and, and grabbing it. So I'm, I'm glad that you've acknowledged that. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a treat. It's been a real treat to listen to you for all these years and. Uh, <clears throat> I'm. You've given me amazing advice every time I got up, or, or just through my life that we've known each other. And the the one thing that you've always um, you said to me only a few times, but it resonates with me. I, and I use it for people. You always say, "Let go, let God." And whenever I say that and I hear that, I, I still remember your. I can still hear your voice in my head when you say, "Let go, let God." Um, that it to me is just me saying, "Okay." Shut up and mm-hmm. let God take over. You're fine. Usually, usually when we say those things, it's right before we uh, are about to. We've done all this work because, uh, for those of you listening here, we're, we've we've done a lot of work together with the youth. Yeah. And so, putting together the, especially the retreats, the once the once a year treat, a retreat that we do, and then you get to a point where, okay, everything we've done is done. We can't do no more. So now it's time to turn it over. Yeah. And let go, let God. Yeah. So and it's always been great. That's been amazing. So yeah. thank you for all the amazing advice and stuff. And if people can actually get to talk to Mike Hoffman, it's amazing to hear his story, what you're about to hear. So, Mike, are you ready? 
I guess so. Al, you ready? I think so. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> now, Al has been with uh, was been with, with the church we go to, St. Catherine's, as long as I have. I mean, you yeah. were part of the original crew with Debbie, right? That um, set Well, up I started group. with RCIA, and mm-hmm. I remember when you guys, your family came in, and you, <clears throat> I don't know exactly how it happened or when, but somehow Debbie got out of RCIA and started doing youth full-time, and about two or three years after that, she drafted me into doing the youth yeah. as well. Yeah. So there was a little period of time in there where she was doing her thing and I was doing RCA still. And I'm still doing RCA for kids. Uh, I'm not going to give that up. I love doing it. But You're um, very impactful, too. Uh, thank you. Uh, and so I, I remember, I don't remember how long ago it was, but I remember I remember when you guys came in, the family, it was like, wow. You know, all, it's all six of you showed up at once. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> it's a powerhouse. Yeah. I, have four gr- I have four children, three girls and a boy. Yeah. And my wife and I have been married since 1982. Wow. So we're we're hitting thirty seven years wow. this year, yeah, going strong. Um, three grandchildren, and when we came in, and I'll I'll tell that story how we got there. But when we came to St. Catharines and the kids were going through RCIA, uh, just be, to finish up their all their, you know, uh, sacraments. Yeah, uh, confirmation. Yeah, I could uh, I could tell right away. We could tell right away that even though you hadn't been coming to the Catholic Church for a while, your kids were better catechized than most of the kids who do go to the Catholic Church. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, and there's a reason for that. But yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I think I think uh, that that that's a very nice compliment because uh, one of our, our our favorite stories was the was when we went to RCIA and and one of the uh, the one of the first discussions in the RCIA group was um, uh, kind of a story that's kind of hung on because Joseph, who's probably he's the youngest out of the four kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably the one that's he's even though he's the only boy, he's the one that's you know he didn't touch the ground for two years of his life. You know the first two right. years of his life is the he's has he's got four mothers, so he's not the first one to speak out at all. You know he's usually catered to, but one one of his favorite stories is that uh, uh, in in one of the first RCIAs there was a discussion, and the the person who was doing the teaching that night was was talking about how um, God really uses uh, the 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 last born. He really uses the the, the last born to, right. to do things, and, and the example they kept going was was uh, Joseph, you know, Joseph and Abraham, and how Joseph, you know, was the last born, and, and Joseph's my son Joseph is like that Joseph wasn't the last born; he was second. That's no, he was second to the last. You know, his 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 his, his brother is is last anyway. But so he was right. a little kid correcting the teacher, and, and it was uh, it was just kind of funny that. Uh, they 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 felt very confident from then on that they weren't going to be blown away and that they could participate and sure. and not just be listeners. So it was kind of funny. Yeah, good thing. So where do we begin, man? What do you want to know? I was uh, I was um, I'm I'm a, I'm an open book. Tell us about when you were born. What was life like when you were born? We <laughs> when you start to recollect your memory and. Um, what, where did you go? Like your parents, what were they? And you, you don't got age yourself. You don't got to say I was born in 1972 <laughs> or 67. 56. I'm 56. You got there. Not like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so then you don't have to uh, start from the beginning. Like Mike Hoffman was, here's Mike. 
All right, sweet. Well, and you know, I would love to back up. I know there's no sure. editing in this one, too, but I would love to back up because I think that, that, that little story that I just shared right out of the get-go kind of was like, a, uh, hey, my kids were correcting the teachers, and they're thinking, that's not really what I meant at all. Uh, it was just a time when um, one of the things that welcomed us into St. Catharines, and I, and I think this is to your credit, Alan, that's really what I wanted to get at, was the kids were able to you know, throw out what they knew. And uh, they were welcomed, and they were uh, they were allowed to participate. And uh, because you know, um, one of the things is is uh, you know we, we think that we have to have everything by rote. We think we have to know the Bible backwards and forwards. We think we have to you know be able to do, and we don't. Uh, we can refer. We can we can know. But but just the the here's what really sticks out with me, and why we love St. Catherine's for so long, is that we were brought in immediately, and we were we were made to feel very uh, family oriented, and and uh, the kids were made to feel you know celebrated over what they had to bring, as opposed to shut down uh-huh. that you were correcting somebody so like that. So I really that was my big point. I, that's one of the things I think is is classically wonderful about our about our parish at St. Catherine's is we've got such great people that have, that influence others and I, I love to continue to participate in that and we have for you know over a decade it's been gosh almost 20 years I would think now well, but, like I was saying you probably <clears throat> remember better than I do yeah you know how what grades your kids were in when they got there or whatever but young 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 yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it fades with me mm-hmm. time fades with my memory <laughs> pretty <fades>. bad <laughs> what day is it today well I I, uh, I have um, you know I don't know if it's a classics i think it's just a, just like everybody else god 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 goes after you you know he's he's chasing you from the very beginning and um i'm no exception i'm really no exception i'm eight out of nine kids so a little background because i think a lot of this kind of uh, shaped the way i i look at life and the way i i see things is uh you know i'm eight out of nine kids my my folks were uh my father just passed away about a month and a half ago mm-hmm. and he was 94 my mother passed away uh gosh uh, I think three years now three or four years now and she was 84 and um, uh, when she passed so my folks were o- were older and um, uh, eight out of nine kids there's five five brothers so six boys three girls and we were born three boys three girls three boys I'm in the middle of the younger set of boys and we were classic I was born in 1963 so we were classic smack dab in the middle of the 60s of Vietnam of uh, all the all that stuff that was going on and, I mean classic made for TV movie where I had three brothers that were off fighting the war one was in college um, the college brother and I love all of my family to death we're a very close family um, but but they had challenges you know I had two were in in the war and there was great protests going on one brother was in the uh, the university and so there was great great challenges between those three rifts that lasted their whole lives and um, talk about you know forgiveness and redemption. That's a that's a that's, that that those relationships should be made into a movie. But we grew up in a time. I grew up in a time where um, it was wild and um, and and wonderful and fresh. Vatican II is still uh, you know starting to take its shape and form. And my parents were, uh, from my earliest memories, uh, my parents were very involved in the church. Always were. They lived in the church. They uh, and it's not that that I was abandoned by the church, um, but. Uh, they were very active in the church and drove, drove, dragged us with them. I, I remember my mom being the donut lady forever. And so we went to all the masses and helped set up donuts and take them down. And I, I love that, for mainly because we my, we just got to eat as many donuts as we wanted. But um, just the fact that, you know, we, we had a place. We, we felt a part of the church from the very beginning. Um, my dad was, and my mother too, my, my dad was always a person who... Uh, he should have been a priest. Matter of fact, he was in the seminary, 
before World War II uh, started, and uh, he left the seminary to join the war. He was quite young. That's when they were in high school. So it was kind of like seminary prep, and um, the war broke out, and pretty much everybody left and went to the war. And when he came out, uh, he was out of the Air Force for about a year or so, met mom, and um, they got married. She was quite young when they got married, and uh, and then he went back into the service and was there for 22 years before he retired officially. But so we were we were a military family. I have all my brothers and sisters. We were born someplace else in the world. <laughs> so wow. yeah, the joke is that's the difference between the Air Force and the and the Navy, because in the uh, Navy, uh, you know, Air Force you have a different baby in every port, and in the, <laughs> the Navy you have a different woman in every port. So, okay. Good. I don't know if that's official or not, but that's, that's the way I see it. So, yeah, all of us, I, I was the last born in the military. My father was, he was very, very strict, but he always, um, <laughs> that's the, it's actually the joke. He was, he was a very, uh, uh, there is a line and you don't want to cross it type of guy. And, uh, but at the same time, he was always, you know, very spiritual. So we kind of had, you know, very, uh, that dad where I'm going to send you to Allah. <laughs> so like, I'm going to send you to heaven. Look, and they showed us a picture of Jesus. Look for this guy because I'm going to send you there. Uh, well, yeah, so they, it was it was very, um, very tough guy and very loving at the same time. And because of that, he was a real man of influence. Um, and he was always working with the youth. I don't remember a time when he wasn't working with the youth. And so in my, growing up, my earliest memories, I had teenagers as brothers and sisters. That's, right. That was a group he was living with. And we, I cannot remember a time when we didn't have somebody living with us. We always had somebody living with us, whether it was a, a, a teenager who was having a rough time or somebody who got kicked out of their house or my father would bring home strays, you know, people living on the street that needed a bath or needed uh, dinner. We always wow. had people living, you know, having dinner with us and stuff. That was quite common. It wasn't, and like I said, we always had somebody sharing our room. I shared a room with two of my, with the, you know, I was the three of the younger boys. I, we slept in the same room till I got married. I mean, I shared the same room till I got married. So, we we are on top of each other and uh, uh, growing up. Uh, my earliest memories: we moved out to California when I was quite young. I think I was two when we moved out to California. Lived there half my life, pretty much half my life, and then out in Texas the other half. And uh, uh, yeah, but it was because of those guys that really shaped my faith because I I might not have been very scripture versed. But I knew God. I knew God from my earliest memories. I've never known. Not, I've never not known God. But it's not just that Jesus is love. That's not. That's not it. It's the. I've seen the power of love, and the power of forgiveness, and the power of transformation in people's lives from my earliest memories, of people that got their lives back together after somebody cared enough to say, "Get your butt over here. I'm going to be real tough on you for a while." And uh, sometimes you get flack from that. I never thought that I would. Uh, that I would understand, or, or or I would, I would be like my dad. But there have been many times when, you know, I've been real tough on people, and at first I didn't understand why. <laughs> but but, that, but my dad was very influential, and he was a very strong man. But there was a right and a wrong, and his faith was the cornerstone of everything. And so he gave me that. He was also a preacher. He became an ordained deacon when I was in my teens. So he became actually he was in the second class when they finally when they reinstituted the diaconate. Um, he was in the second class of uh, people that were ordained, and um, so most of my, you know, teenage years, he was a—I was a preacher's kid, or as close as you get to as a Catholic. 
<laughs> right. legally anyway you know so, yeah. so uh, i was a yeah so I, I grew up in the church how about then, how about your mom during this time mom was it's kind of funny because my dad was the um the way i like to put it and i told this to my mom once because i really wanted her to understand was dad was a preacher dad dad talked I talked and in youth group. He did what I do, which is he just talks and talks and talks. You got to shut him up. Um, so he preached a lot, and I get a lot of my speaking from my dad. Mm-hmm. My mom lived it. So the way I kind of told my mom was, uh, uh, "Dad, Dad was created for the world. He was created to spread the word and to spread the faith for the world. Mom was created for us." And that's kind of the way I would wrap up my life was I was very blessed to have my parents. Not perfect people at all, at all. But my mother was extremely intelligent. She graduated high school two years early. Uh, she could have been. Um, they wanted her she, she, They wanted her to go to college. But at that time, she just wanted, She was very poor. She wanted to get right. out of the house and get married. Um, but she loved my dad. They loved my dad. And, and uh, uh, she was very, very young. She was 16 when they got married. Um, she was actually so they wanted since she was a singer too she was she was a performer she was extremely smart um, um, they they wanted her to actually set her up to be a road scholar but uh, she loved my dad more so um, um, yeah she got married went into the Air Force and toured the world so uh, yeah so she uh, she was she she probably lived it more obvious than anybody my dad I could talk to uh, at any time and he was always an open book but my mother was the one that I really got it she was the one that was uh, I love to watch her work she could she knew how to my dad knew how to build community mom ignited it hmm. mom was the one that, that she was the heart of everything you know she was uh, you, you, you go to hell and back for mom dad you dad you went oh you know oh, dad's up on a pedestal Mom was the one that really she she was the one that showed you right what what love is and she didn't have to she didn't have to talk a lot she just did she was a great listener amazing listener and I could go to her uh, for anything I I my, she was one of the smartest people I ever knew my mother well, yeah. I think still is still is yeah. yeah there's nothing nothing that beats mom but um, yeah so I I my my childhood you know was not fraught with uh, uh, Challenges. We were not rich. We were sort of lower middle class. Um, we lived in a. Uh, we lived in South San Jose, uh, where we we grew up. We call it the proverbial tracks because uh, this was their first house they ever bought. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force for twenty two years, and so he retired. We moved out to California, and he got a job up in Palo Alto with Varian as a quality engineer, and um, we were able to to buy a home. Which <laughs> they bought their home in California, South San Jose, for twenty two thousand five hundred five bedroom house. On a like a really big lot at the end of a cul-de-sac, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, it's worth millions and millions of dollars now. Can you imagine? But yeah, but they bought it for twenty. You think the house is still there? Oh, I know the house is still there. Cool. You ever? Would you, if you had the chance, would you go look it up? <clears throat> oh, I'm I'm there all the time. Yeah, yeah. I travel quite a bit because I speak for a living, so I I travel quite a bit. And I, whenever I go out to San Jose, I always like I've, I've done, I know the people who live there. Told them <laughs> secrets about the house. They've they've redone it, you know. Oh, you had to remodel it a little some. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The thing is, we lived there for gosh, twenty plus years, almost thirty years, and we never finished the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So they they upped the value of that house immediately just by putting in a backyard. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I can't tell you how many times we cut down those weeds in the backyard. <laughs> there are thousands of army men <laughs> buried. The stories, <laughs> the stories, that the yeah. stuff we could dig up in that backyard could tell. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. Me and my me and my two brothers. Yeah. So I grew up with my two brothers, uh, the one above, below me, one above me, and then my three sisters. We all grew up together in the, in that house. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. The one, the one fun story I remember was uh, we, we did have people living with us. It's, you know, not all fun and games. Um, lots of things that were challenging, and uh, uh, but also amazing stories. Just amazing stories of transformation. One of my favorites was we had one young lady who was a teenager, and that was their, kind of their specialty. They, they was their heart for for, for kids. Mm-hmm. But we had to live with them too, right? Which was challenging. We got these you know kids that are off the deep end, and they're living in our house. And now we got to take on the angst and crisis too. And there was one. Uh, there's only one in my entire history. Where my mom was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You got to do something. I'm done. And and she was, uh, I won't even say her name because she, well, she was probably listening because now she's a mom and she's grown up and everything else. Yeah. But I remember at the time, there was one incident I'll never forget because it really, really changed. It really opened up my eyes to my mother was she was sitting on our second story little uh, window and it was a straight down shot and she was in a just I don't even know what the issue was but everybody was in the room because Kathy it, oh gosh damn she's threatening to throw herself out of the window I'm going to throw myself out of the window she's throwing a tantrum she's just because she couldn't get her way or whatever I'm going to throw myself out of my window and this is the first time my mother basically said see ya <laughs> she basically went if you said that's the choice you're going to make sweetheart go do it now because we're done <laughs> I'm wow. like oh no mom Mom, <laughs> Kathy, I can't believe you push those buttons that much. It's going to be crazy. That was the only time. So yeah, but uh, I bring all that up because uh, one of my one of my favorite memories was uh, when 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 my folks were kind of retiring and letting going everything at the at the parish that we grew up in and helped helped establish really from the beginning. Um, the people that came out to celebrate them was amazing. That was a major impact on me is the, the, the church was packed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just filled, it was packed. And the kids that came back from youth filled the platform. And it was literally like my parents had died because it was hours of people just telling stories. Wow. Yeah, and they and they, it's just to celebrate, just to celebrate them. And uh, I'll never forget that. You know, they, they, but they started a youth program called Jesus Over You that to this day still is going strong. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they started. So my parents were massive influences on me. So it wasn't just the idea of you got to go to church. Church was our lives, and because of that, I knew lots of priests. I knew lots of priests. Um, they were, and I didn't see them. I never put them up on a pedestal. I was never afraid of priests. We always had. We were great friends with priests. When my father became ordained, I knew the bishop. I knew the bishop by name. He knew me. My folks were. Uh, my folks, in fact, a little too familiar sometimes for my mother, my my uh, because my mother was loved by the the, the bishop. Uh, she was a great cook. My mother was a great cook, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we always had you know we 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 did things like father loved mom because dad was a deacon, but mom took care of, of father, and so he would uh, he would he actually rose quite quite high, and uh, my, he took you know my parents with him and my, and my mom with him, and he loved mom to cook for them, and so he'd put on these great parties and. And uh, uh, I remember one time uh, he was he there were some cardinals that were coming in and Father Matt wanted a dinner, and uh, 
uh, they put on a very special dinner. Mom made all of her great stuff, and Father Matt was so happy. And they were eating. It was it was a high high like high tea, man. It was he was it was everything was huge. Right. All the all the plates. I mean everything. And so when Father wanted the course to be over, he was he picked up a bell and he would ring the bell. And I went, what? <laughs> so I'm a teenager at this time, right. and 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 my mother, you know, got myself and my brothers to come and help serve. So we we're going to serve, and and we have to we got to wait for the bell. Father's going to ring the bell, and then we kind of come in and take, just take off the plates. And I'm like, he's going to ring a bell, and we're going to come and do it. Oh heck no! So I, <laughs> so father rings the bell, and I go out there. My mother reaching out to grab me. Michael, no, just reaching out to grab me, and I bust through the door, and I went. I knelt down to the, the, the I go, did you ring the bell Massa Massa please don't beat me Massa please please and oh my gosh father chased me literally chased me out of the house um, thank goodness everybody had a good sense of humor about it but uh, um, but I never had I never had a fear of priests never put them on a pedestal they were all just men trying to serve their faith I've known great priests I don't, I've known priests who should never have been priests. I mean, uh, I, I'm not afraid of uh, to you know to call a priest you know the way it is. So I I've literally I I grew up in a church that was uh, very real to me and very home to me and very uh, like I said I might not have been able to explain it, but uh, I loved it and I was a big believer in Jesus from my very early beginning. Yeah, so that's kind of background on mom and dad. Yeah. And a few things that happened when I was young that sort of uh, kind of established Jesus as being important. Uh, I, when I, in my, I think it was fourth grade, third or fourth grade, I think it was third grade. Um, third grade, what's that, eight? Yeah. So third grade, I was, uh, I came down with a disease that um, was unknown at the time. Matter of fact, it is named after me. It is um, called Michael's disease. It's when you get your blood tested uh, for... Uh, when you go to give blood, one of the right. tests they do is called Michael's disease. What? And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the Michael. I'm the Michael. Yeah, Google man. this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's. <laughs> what the, are the symptoms of Michael's disease? I woke up. I came down with this thing. If they they thought it was a reaction, that's kind of what it's under. It's under a reaction. They thought it was a reaction to penicillin because I was on. Okay. I, I had been sick, and then I was I was taking penicillin and. I woke up one night and my my mother was talking to somebody in the middle of the night. They were on a couch, and the lights were off, and they were having a heart to heart conversation with a, a, a mom who was in trouble. And I came down and I, I said, "Mom, I don't feel very good." And she turned on the light, and they both screamed. <laughs> and I was uh, I was completely blue. It's like all the capillaries in my body had burst. Mm. I, I had spider veins everywhere, and I was, and I had red dots. So I had red dots. I looked like a Smurf with with the measles. <laughs> and if you touched my arm, I would bruise. So it was definitely blood related. Something's going on. They rushed me to the hospital. They had me in ICU for a week. And um, gosh, so many tests, so many tests. I had been written off. Well, I had a, I had a fever of 107 twice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. that's dangerous. Yeah, it's very dangerous. So your brain either gets fried, or you're not going to have kids. So the fact that I've got kids is a little miracle in itself. So, but but it was in those times that where uh, my my sister came in one day. I remember she came in one day. She goes, "Yeah, the doctor said you were gonna die." And, <laughs> and I'm like, "What, mom? What?" I mean, I'm eight years old. So uh, I was a sick child. I was a very very sick child. That in that time that lasted for a couple of weeks. And but during that time, I remember getting very close with God. We talked a lot, hmm. and um, I, I have great memories of sort of wrapping up a young life, you know, <laughs> and being very comfortable with it, actually, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, 
Very, very calm, very cool. Did you find anything? Uh, kinda. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not the ones you got to worry about. But that's yeah. the ones they look for. They still know what it is. Oh. That's why I'm the. I'm in the uncured book. Yeah. The uncured book. And usually, what it is is this is weird. So they take a lot of pictures, do a lot of tests, and put you in a book. I don't know what the heck it is. Probably a combination of things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that and um, uh, when I was a senior in high school, I cut my head off. I, I scout myself on a on a, a joy weekend, which was a search a search weekend, which right. is our youth retreat. And we were playing volleyball with a game. Uh, we were playing volleyball with the gang, and uh, I had taken the ball from the game. We were playing keep away, and somebody was chasing me into a building that was being torn down. It was just the frame. They actually they were building it, so they but it's just the frame. And I'm jumping onto this platform, which is about two feet off the ground, but going between the studs, which tells you how skinny I was. And I was going between the studs, and I was so jumping up and ducking down under one of the cross beams, and it caught my head, and it flipped my feet up, and I fell down. I was full board, and I hit the ground, and I saw stars, <laughs> and uh, I and I went, wow, I'm gonna have a headache. And I grabbed my head, and there was a dent in my head, a big dent in my head. And I sat up and I went, oh gosh, I'm going to have a headache. And I looked at my fingers and it was blood. And I went, uh oh. And I put my head down, this wall of blood just. So I reached up to my head and I grabbed this thick <laughs> piece of cowhide. I thought it was a tongue. It felt like a tongue. I, I'm holding on to a tongue on the top of my head. I had literally scalped myself. You can feel the scar. It goes all the way from here, it just goes all the way over. I had scalped myself down to the skull. So I put my skull, my 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 skin back scalp, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, I just laid it down, and I and I held it, and I'm bleeding like a stuck pig, man. I'm just just gushing, <laughs> and I laid down, and uh, the crowds are gathering. Michelle and I, my my future wife, had just started dating. This was her very first search. <laughs> this is like the first gathering of her and to you know everybody meet my my folks that whole thing, and. Uh, I'm telling all kinds of jokes, you know, let's not lose our heads over the matter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, not tonight, I've got a headache, you know, stuff like that. And needless to say, I'm in a pool of blood that's as far as I can reach, and people are backing up because it's, 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 it's bad. It's bad. And my, my little brother saves my life because there was a uh, uh, one of the moderators, one of the adults, pushes through the crowd, and he sees a towel on the ground. And he goes to grab a towel to put on my head. And um, my brother pushed him out of the way and uh, told him not to put that dirty rag on my head. And thank God, because he, he would have killed me. But my little brother, who's three years younger than me, sits down and puts my head in his lap. And, and the doctor said he could have killed me or saved me because if my skull was splintered in any way, he would have done a lot of damage. Because hmm. he, he added pressure to, to stop the bleeding. But... Um, what he did was he slowed the blood down enough for me to get to the hospital and, and, and get, get taken care of. And so he's got my head in his lap, and I'm losing blood. So I'm checking out. I'm not dying. That's not even a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with my hands on my chest, and, uh, uh, and we're kind of telling jokes. And, and Art says, I just kind of stopped talking. And um, my memory is not me floating above my body. Or anything like that. I don't remember. I don't remember leaving, but I do have a memory of I am standing next to me. I'm over here, and I am looking at my. Uh, I'm laying on the ground. My brother's got my head in his lap, and I check out. 
he says I looked up and said goodbye. I don't remember saying that. But I leave. And he starts shaking my head. You know, wake up, wake up. Now, my brother is a... Uh, I, was, I was a senior in high school. My brother's a freshman. But he's a big dude. He's got no neck. He's on the football team. I mean, he's a stud. He's more of a stud than I'll ever be in my life. Right. And he's starting to cry. And my memory is I'm watching him start to cry. And I do not want to make my brother embarrassed. I'm embarrassing my brother. And all I heard, because right before this happened, I heard this voice, and it, and I've heard a voice many times in my life. Um, but on that day, I distinctly heard a voice. It was right here, and it was just whispering. It was just, just over and over, same tone, just relax. You don't have to fight this anymore. Just relax. Oh, you don't have to fight this anymore. Over and over. It's very soothing, very calming. Yeah. Very calming, and then I remember him, and Art starts to freak out, and then I I, uh, I opened my eyes and I said, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to embarrass you," and I was I had all it's like all the energies went whoosh right back in my body, and I had all the energy in the world. I didn't, I wasn't, I was fine after that, and I go I go to the doctors. We get in the we get in the back of the sh- uh, uh, station wagon. I, yeah. Satan tried to take me out many times, man. <laughs> so, so we get in the back of the station wagon. We're heading to the hospital because we're we're actually up in the we're we're along the beach in California at Camp St. Francis, and uh, we go to uh, we go to the hospital. And my mother, this is how you know you're in trouble. When I'm in the back of the of the station wagon, and my mother's in the in the seat right in front of me, and I start to get a little freaked out. You know, I go, Mom, am I going to be okay? I go, I think this is pretty serious. Am I going to die? And my mother slaps me on the shoulder. She goes, Michael, don't talk like that. <laughs> she starts crying. And then also the panic said is like, oh, my God, Bob's, if Bob's crying, I'm gone. Yeah, you're in trouble I'm, now. I'm yeah. a dead man. I'm a dead man. So we get to the hospital, and my mom is trying to get these people. They're not moving fast enough. We go to the emergency room. There's, there's nobody's, nobody's moving fast enough. They don't. They, they're not. They, they think I got a little cut on my head. Yes. And matter of fact, I remember the nurse telling my mother, "Yes, you know, head wounds. They bleed a lot. It's okay. It's going to be okay." So she's going, "No, you need to get in here right now. This is serious." And they think she's a panicky mother. So the nurses got me on the table, right? And my, I'm, I'm full of blood. So they got, they're washing this off, and and my nurse has brought in a, a little, a little razor to try to, uh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna just kind of shave around where the cut is, and we're gonna. We're going to give you a few sutures. So she starts to to wash off the blood, and the and you hear her tone change. I will never forget this because it's still in my head. She's she's like she's like oh, okay. Well, let's just see what it is. Okay, oh okay. Well, oh my goodness, yes. Oh okay. Oh oh goodness. Oh dear lord. Okay. All right. <laughs> Oh, this is a good one. Oh, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> like, wow. Holy cow! We got it's the camera. It's the camera. You yeah, that's exactly that. right. So she goes and gets the doctor, and the doctor comes rushing in. He goes, "Yeah, I hear we got a good one." And uh, yeah, but uh, I got six stitches. That wow. all because they can't they can't suture up ahead. That's why I've got ridge on my head, and uh, because they can't they can't lock it down. You've got a lot of drainage, so they just have to tack it. There was only six stitches. But the miracle, here's the miracle. Here's how you know it was God. Because I didn't lose any hair. I still don't have, I mean, I still got a full head of hair. Yeah. And I, and I have, and it goes from here all the way back. And you can feel the ridge. The ridge is still there. But um, it's like uh, the, the, the doctor goes, he goes, well, here's the miracle. He goes, here's how I know you have a guardian angel. Because your head hit so perfectly 
he goes, the, the guardian angel must have been going, we can't stop this. So we might as well, you know, we got a, got one shot. And that, that guy, had the, if my head was bent a quarter of an inch up, I would have hit my forehead and snapped my neck. If my head was bent a quarter of an inch down, I would have impacted my spine and would have snapped my neck. He goes, you hit it so perfectly, and and there's no ripping. It's like someone took a surgical knife, lifted up your hair, and went, chunk. It's that perfect. He goes, there's no tearing. There's no ripping. It's like someone took a knife and cut it. We don't have to irrigate it. We don't have to clean it out. There's no junk in it. And so he just he washed it out. He tacked it down, six stitches. There you go. Off you go. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah. And then I, I, I actually, uh, I had a play that I was in that I, uh, that we, we debuted, I think it was two weeks, three weeks later. And uh, all the pictures, you see a hat. Yeah, I've got, I'm wearing yeah. a hat because I've got this two inch, you know, strip on my head with this massive, I had to wear a turban for a while. Oh my gosh, it's great. <laughs> so, but during that time, God and I uh, became very close. <laughs> so there was several times when, you know, we could tell you, we could tell you stories. It's amazing I'm still alive. I can't believe it. I'm just as shocked as you. I'm 56 years old. <laughs> my mother was still, she was very shocked and pleased. <laughs> we had never heard that story. Any of your, all really? stories, never heard that story. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. So I, I was, I was, I always knew of, of. I always had a faith. Always, always had a faith. Always knew there was God. Always, God was always in my life. Can't remember a time when He wasn't. Seen the power of Him. Seen, seen the transformationness of it. Uh, you know, with young people, old people. You know, so uh, I, I, I praise my parents for that. That was a gift from my parents. Which is a testimony to anybody ever is listening to these silly stories is that you have more influence than you know, and that's what I just try to tell people is to you have to own. God doesn't make us emperors of the world. He he gives us four. You know, he gave me four. He gave you your grandkids for a reason. He gave you kids yep. for a reason. He yep. gave you the kids that were brought into your life for a reason. Uh. And we are too. <laughs> I know it's it's a challenge sometimes, but you have more influence than you know. Yeah. And the foundations that you that you lay and the witness that you are are there are watched. It's caught more than taught. Trust me. So, and we need a lot of grace. Yeah, because <laughs> we're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. So, mm-hmm. so there you go. I mean, that's a little, little background it's as far as the younger years. You know, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I really, I, I. Uh, I wish I had tragedy in my life that I could say this is how God picked me up from the gutter. But uh, uh, I mean, no, that's pretty good. You know, Mike's disease, scalping. You know, yeah. Well, Satan did try to take me out many times. I do yeah. believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't the perfect kid either. I mean, I've had. I mean, I was. I wasn't the perfect kid, but I was always the kid that knew it. Well, when we grew up, we we grew up in um, um, the. Like I said, we were kind of lower middle class. We my, my, we were never poor, but. Uh, and I never knew want. Let's just put it that way. I didn't. We. we I don't know if my parents were just. They. They were frugal with their money, but uh, my. They did things like we never. We never got you know bikes. We never got stuff. And this was still the age where you never. You were never inside, ever. In fact, you were inside. You were doing chores. So we were always outside. My my mother. They would shoot us outside every weekend, and but they would give us chores on the weekends and things like that. But um, we we never had an overabundance of stuff like uh, when we got bikes for Christmas we got <laughs> and this is not an exaggeration we got three bikes that my dad picked up from the Goodwill 
mm-hmm. and and they were enough to make one bike. You know what I mean? So yeah. there were things we were, and he gave us like a like a wrench and and a, and a our, our very first toolbox and these bikes and goes said go at it. You know, so we never had the newest and the latest and the greatest, but but I always I always treasured that kind of thing. We, we never had the best. We always had, but we never had we never had the best of anything. But but now when I but looking back, my fifty six year old Mike looks back and went, God, my dad was a genius. Uh-huh. It's just a genius. I don't I never did that enough. And you learn to you learn to make stuff. You learn to you learn to lose his tools, which he didn't like. But uh-huh. you, you know, but you learn to you just did things. You just did things. It was awesome. Yeah, had a great childhood. No no complaints. But where we grew up was we call it the proverbial railroad tracks because. In South San Jose at the time, it was still the prune capital of the world. So they were all orchards. And we lived in the boonies. The nearest store was a mile away. And uh, everything was being built up around at the time. So we were these these homes that were, uh, you know, middle-income family homes. But that whole... And they were, they were concept homes. They were homes that were built to take earthquakes. So they were built on, you know, things where you could adjust your foundation and things. Uh, it was pier and beam at the time. Well, that project ended. There was supposed to be a whole subdivision, but we had uh, three courts that were built with this that had a certain income level. And then that project was over, and the and the the I don't know if it was the city or the county or somebody took took the the, the area over again. The the developers abandoned it or, or or went on to something else, and so they put low income housing. And so it was it was a very uh, uh, it was rough. It was a rough neighborhood mm-hmm. because um, they were they were. It was it was. We call it the track, which was right at the end of our court. So because of that, and the goal was that you, it would be a place where people could come in for affordable housing, and they would be, they would be encouraged because there were people of higher income, and they, everybody would be encouraged. Well, it didn't work, so the whole area was brought down. And um, I love a great idea, but it didn't work. Um, so we grew up in a very, very South San Jose was known for for a lot of things, and uh, so we grew up in a very. In fact, the guy that one of the kids that lived at the end of the street became one of the one of the cocaine. Um, <laughs> no joke, he's doing time. He'll never come out again. He was he was a he was one of the godfathers of the cocaine business, as you know, it blew up in the seventies and eighties. Well, in San Jose, he was the guy. He was the main distributor, and he was in high school. And uh, his, actually, his brother was killed over a drug deal. His younger brother was killed over a drug deal. It was bad. Uh, we had a Hell's Angels halfway house, uh, or a, a sort of a stopover house on our court. That um, so we, I, I could, I, I still have, uh, you know, people that I know that I know that. I mean, they, they lived on our court, so it was. A, but it was a come and go. It was a house that they owned. It just right. kind of came and gone. And so we had. I can't. I, I could. I could tell you stories, man. I don't know. I, I know we're coming up to the first break, but <laughs> I'm telling you, I could tell you stories. I'd curl your hair. I, it was. It was a very interesting life growing up, but it also made it very clear that, uh, you know, this world was not the end goal. Yeah. Hey everybody, if you like to talk to us, you like to reach out to any of my guests or even uh, me or my co-hosts, email us at churchtableproductions at gmail.com. Churchtableproductions at gmail.com is all one word. We look forward to hearing from you, look forward to talking to you, and we might even read your email on the air. So churchtableproductions at gmail.com is where you can talk to us. So you grew up on a street that had um, the Hell's Angels on it. Yeah. Next door. Yeah. 
or something. Yeah, well, well it's, it's like I was saying, you know, we, we when we moved to San Jose, South San Jose, at the time they had, they built these three courts that were uh, uh, basically uh, houses that were a test. They were test homes and they were built on pier and beam uh, to sort of be adjusted for the earthquakes and things like that. And and they, all, they were going to build this whole subdivision of this type of house and they built three courts and they were long courts, but but they stopped the project, and basically the 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 uh, developer changed his plan, wanted uh, to go a different route, and so what they did was they filled the rest of the subdivision with low income housing, and um, uh, the idea was this is South San Jose that was just starting to be built up, uh, way out in the boonies, and so the the goal was to sort of intermix you know different incomes to bring the whole area up, and instead it brought everything down. And the whole the the, the 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 what do you call it the uh, not the attitude the uh, the dynamic the dynamic the history the, the you knew South San Jose was not a place that you you frequented <laughs> you know it was a challenging area let's just put it that way it's challenging area and we had you know I was telling about you know Ron uh, one of the guys that lived on the court that was became one of the cocaine dudes that ended up just spending the rest of his life in jail well that that impacted we had hell's angels living on our court it was a uh, uh, one of the houses they bought and it was just sort of a get there use it and leave type of thing so we always had people coming and going on the court and the i know i know some of these guys by name and so we grew up in a rough neighborhood it was very very rough i can i can tell you what it's like to be mugged several times you know my brother who is uh, my brother who is a uh, uh special needs child um, is one year older than me and so he was always in special ed and I can tell you every day our my goal was because we walked to school my goal was uh, my brother was in uh, kindergarten and uh, Peter and I were in uh, third grade and I remember every day that year I had to go get my younger brother Art bring him over to Peter because Peter was being beaten up for some reason for being special ed and and different Mm -hmm. and I had to run home and get help that was my deal is I had to run home and grab some was at the house to come and, and get it happened all the time all the time so you know to, to kind of say that it was oh you know everything was wonderful and the donut lady and we have all these great stories which is true but all of that set in a, a scene of you know real dynamics real people dynamics and the the impact of different people from the the, the different scales and so we had we had challenges you know I have brothers that uh, have struggled with drugs uh, I have I have um, you know our family one thing I love about our family is you know we've got people people that don't talk to each other we've got people that are literally walking saints we have people that i know have done time <laughs> i mean we have a messy messy wonderful wonderfully messy family and uh that's kind of what we were growing up but families are messy aren't they all families are messy i was uh, telling what? a story so my so we're living in uh, garland we moved in it's uh, four bedrooms mom and dad of course have master bedroom Two older brothers took one bedroom. Two younger brothers took the other bedroom, and and just by default, I got a bedroom to myself, which is one of the few benefits of being a middle child, I suppose. Mm. So one night, um, the phone starts ringing, and the phone's in the kitchen. That's the only phone. This is uh, in the seventies, and it rings about fifteen, ten, fifteen times. Nobody gets up to answer it, so I'm figure, okay, I'll get up and see what's going on. And it was one of my older brothers. And he had been arrested for stealing street signs. He'd, he'd gone out in the middle of the night with some of his buddies, and he was trying to steal street signs and got busted. And he's, 
You know, he said, oh, thank God, Al. Thank you. you know, get that. Get that on the phone. I had to go at 3 o'clock in the morning and go knock on my dad's bedroom door, wake him up and go, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a long walk. Yeah. And you're not even the yeah. one in, that yeah. needs the help, but you got to go in, Dad. <laughs> you need to come to the phone. It's the police department. Yeah. And so that was that was just one activity in my house. That, you know, yeah, well, We weren't the Brady Bunch either, not, not even close. Yeah. No, I'm not going to mention the brother's name. Sorry. <laughs> not going to happen. He could still beat me up if he wanted to. Uh, yeah, family's messy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one of the one of the nice things about that was we grew up in the same house. My, my other brothers and sisters, they, they were, they were you know, we had another sibling born in a different place. And so they, they were classic military brats, you know, as they call mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was the last born in the military, so I had quite the privilege of growing up in the same house for 25 plus years. And so before we moved out to Dallas, before I got married and moved out, but yeah, yeah. But dad, uh, yeah. So you want to hear about dad's orda- ordination? My, my father is an ordained deacon. He's a permanent deacon. So in the Catholic church, you know, you hear about deacons in all kinds of denominations, but uh, in the Catholic church, it's called a permanent diaconate. And a, a deacon is a step to becoming a priesthood. You actually get ordained into the diaconate. They call it a transitional deacon if you're going on to be a priesthood. So you spend some time being in a deacon, and a deacon's job is to serve. They're actually at the service of the bishop. And so you get ordained to a diocese. And you're, you are, you know, in the Bible, they talk about Stephen... Um, or uh, Stephen being, you know, one of the first deacons, and the deacon's job was to take care of the community so that the apostles could preach. They needed people to help with the day to day. They needed people to help with the orphans and the widows and the food and everything else, so that the, the apostles could could spend time preaching. And um, and so the deacon, the aconet, was from the very beginning. You know, Stephen was a deacon. Um, and when they, they, the, the, the diaconate was for a while, then they stopped it for a long, long time, and they just brought it back in the um, early 70s, I believe. And dad became a deacon, um, was actually voted in, really, and then went through the courses. And that was, that. I think that was very important for him because he was going to be a priest. And so he gets a chance to be the both. But as a permanent deacon, you don't move any for, you know, you don't become a priest. You, you, that's the highest you can go. You, if you're, but you're also ordained. It is a, it is an ordination. You actually get faculties, which are, you're given powers that are passed on from the apostles, you know, as, uh, uh, the, as, you know, when the apostles passed on their their chairs, their authority to to ordain other people coming in, when they like for instance when they when they replaced Judas um, with Matthias, Matthias, yeah, correct. Matthias. When they did with Matthias, it was somebody that had to take his place, and they literally ordained him. They laid their hands on him, and they prayed. And so the same authority that was given to the apostles, they passed on to Matthias. And so all of that is the beginning of the ordination that they are given. Uh, power and authority over certain things called faculties. So a permanent deacon gets to get has faculties to bless, has a fa- has faculties to do marriage, bless marriages in the name of the church, has faculties to uh, baptisms and all the, all those things. So they they actually have authority given from the magisterium from the church to perform priestly type duties up to a certain uh, up to a certain level, and. Uh, Watching him go through that, and then especially with with what that means, was very 
life-changing. It, it, growing up, you you were you saw both sides. You're either going to go... My mother used to joke about it all the time. I'm either going to be... And I, I'm sure kids get this all the time. We don't know what Mike's going to end up being. He's either going to be the biggest crook in the world or he's going to be, you know, a saint. There's, there's no... There's, not, there's nothing in the middle. <laughs> you know, he's either going dark or he's going light. You know, one of the, one of the two. Uh, and that was... That was what it, that's what it was like growing up is, is you had to make a choice. There was nothing being on the fence. We saw it all around us, so... But yeah, dad was a dad was a deacon. I grew up in it. Well, there was a I forget exactly what happened or how the event came across, but your dad came to our youth night mm-hmm. once, and there was um, something about the World War II vets. I think there might have been a couple other veterans there, and I just remember that I asked a question and I got real kind of stony silence from the guys. But I asked them about how their faith might have helped them or. Mm-hmm. Had they had a time during the war where they might have had a doubt in their faith, because you know it's pretty obviously very stressful, you know, going on, you know, battle in the Air Force. I, I forgot exactly what he did. He was in a plane, mm-hmm. being shot down or not being shot down. And I just asked a question, and they just kind of looked at me like, "Nope." And I was like, "Okay, nope, what? Nope, nope. Like, no, no, no. I never had any doubt in faith. I never, mm-hmm. never had any problems. You know, they didn't, they didn't. I, I'm thinking, thinking they just didn't want to talk about it." No, they didn't have any doubt. <laughs> it's, just, it's like saying there's no... Uh, well, I mean, maybe not... There's no atheist in a foxhole. Right, but did they have any experiences where their prayer life might have helped them? or something? I was hoping they would expand yeah. in some way. Did, they, he, they, did he ever share... I'll share with you guys, but did he ever share the story of his, his Mount Carmel medal? No. Uh, okay. I, think I, I think I heard you say it once. Yeah, that's that's one of our favorites. Uh, and and just, just the... Just sort of of God being a part of your life, and and you kind of accepting that there is a God, mm-hmm. and He does intervene, and He is a part of our lives. He is not a distant landlord, um, and He interacts. You know, He really does. And so, uh, my father was a Top Gunner on a B twenty four. Actually, he was a radar operator, so he was the radio man. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and then during the uh, during one of the Early days when the squadrons formed, he was a part of the seven uh, fiftieth, uh, four fifty first squadron. Um, I, I, I get the numbers mixed up, but it's for, he was with the four fifty first, and um, uh, he was a on a B twenty four, which did most of the labor in World War Two, mm-hmm. um, before the B seventeens were invented and all the good stuff. They were they were the workhorse of the war, uh, and. During during the early part of his of his uh, team, they were on. I think there was a training mission. It wasn't during a battle, but during one of the training missions, the guy who was doing the Top Gun couldn't get it unjammed. His, his gun had jammed, and he and it wasn't working. It wasn't mm-hmm. working. It wasn't working. And my dad reached up and, and told him to turn the solenoid around. And uh, the VG, who was the pilot, turned around and goes, "Congratulations, you are now the Top Gunner," <laughs> because you don't want any anybody not knowing anything. In right. a, in, during a battle, so my dad became Top Gunner on a B twenty four, and so they they, they uh, uh, he did shoot down a plane uh, that he got credit for over. And when he says credit, it's probably the worst day of his life. Um, and I, I say that because my mother would say that my dad went through on on a nightly basis. He went through his battles in real time in his sleep, and so he would talk in his sleep, and he would she would watch him go through his from pre. From the you know the the, right. the the pre setup time all the way through the battles and uh, every night he would was just sweat drenched they would change but yeah Yikes. and there but there were but she could tell you 
she could tell you which battles were the worst because uh, she had lived, watched him live through it. And one of them was over Budapest. And my dad was in a couple of very famous battles. Um, uh, what was it? The raid on uh, Ploesti. The Ploesti, they call them the Ploesti raids. A lot of history you guys don't need, but um, they used to have you know low low run bombing and then high run bombing was a was uh, became later as as they developed these bomb sites. Well, they they would they would do these low level bombings for most of the war, and that's where you lost a lot of the guys. Right. Uh, and the Ploesti raids, there was there were they 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 did a lot of Ploesti raids, but some famous ones where they lost like sixty five percent of the guys didn't come back. Mm. And a plane carries ten guys. So you would lose more than half of your squadron in a single raid was horrific, just horrific. And um, uh, but he was he was over Budapest and he he did shoot down a plane. And um, my dad is from Hungary and he has family from Budapest and uh, or from that area. And what mm-hmm. my mother would oh, would man. just say that he would he would just scream to his cousin Johnny to get out. You know, don't you know? You know, you know, uh, you know. Turn away, turn away. Don't you see? I got my sights on you. Turn away, and oh, um, and then and then had to had to shoot because he was too close and could have got them. So he took him out, and he, he just lived with that for his whole life. He lived with that his whole mm-hmm. life. But the Mount the Mount Carmel, they were on a um, uh, they were on a reprieve, and they went to uh, the Isle of Capri. And uh, on the beach, they were there for a couple of days, and there was a little girl, and um, the little girl was with, I think she was with like a sister, and uh, uh, they were going around the beaches, like collecting, you know, alms for the poor and things like that, and every day she would, she would walk by. But anyway, this little girl, and she was, she was young, like five, and she would just have her face, she would never turn her back to the guys, she would just eye them down. And she mm-hmm. would just be with the be with the world that she was walking with, but she would eye the guys down. And my dad, you know, caught notice of it. What's with this little girl? And um, uh, one of the days, he asked the sister. He says, "What's what's up with the little girl?" And she says, "Well, she, he says, don't 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 take it personal. She has a she has a hole in the back of her bathing suit on her on her butt. She doesn't want anybody to be, don't want anybody to see it. She's very embarrassed." Mm-hmm. My dad, okay. So he went and uh, they bought her a bathing suit. And the next day she came around and uh, the little girl, you know, the sister said, they have something for you. And they, they gave her a bathing suit. And she was so happy. She stripped down naked and put the bathing suit on right there, you know. So she was ashamed of a little hole, but she'd get naked for a new suit. So anyway, the, the next day this little girl comes and the sister says, hey, she has, she has something for you as a thank you. And she gave my dad a, a big old uh, Mount Carmel medal. And... Uh, uh, said she's she's praying for your safety and things like that. And so, this this medal started to rack up stories. And the one of uh, more everybody in the plane had a story. And the the well, the first one was my dad is they're in a they're in a fight, and my dad's gun jams. He's in the, he's a top gunner, so he's in the top bubble on the on a B twenty four. If you just picture one of those planes with yeah. the bubbles on the top, he's in the top bubble, and it's a teeny teeny. I thought it was this massive plane. It's not. It's actually like a brick, and it's very small. And these guys had to be seventeen and podunk nothing to, to work these things. So he's in the top of this bubble. His gun jams, and he can't get it to work. So he he, he bends down to un unhook something and to 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 make it work. And he hears a ping in the in the thing, and he sits up, and there's a hole in the canopy. Goes right through the canopy, right through his, his the back of his. Uh, uh, chair and out the back of the window it goes right through the canopy, right through his right through his headrest, and it would have taken his head off if he didn't bend down at that moment. 
which is we do he would have been dead mm. he just blew his head off mm. these are 50 cals these are this yeah, is, this is, yeah this is this is pink mist stuff right and it went right through the canopy and didn't didn't detonate either which is through the canopy just went right through which was amazing and through the headrest so that was the first one it was like uh, you have a lot of praise for that but then there were uh, uh, each guy had one one of my favorites was uh, the the guy who was doing uh, doing one of the raids I can't, I can't imagine what it's like because I wasn't there. But but in a battle, can you imagine in a battle? You're right. people are shooting at you. You know, there's flak yeah. everywhere. Yeah. The flak. When you always see the black smoke, that is literally a bomb blowing up, full of shrapnel. That's its goal: is to just throw bits of metal everywhere, hoping it'll destroy you. So this is it's craziness, absolute craziness. And and so you gotta wear your flak helmet. And it's a big bulky thing. Well, there's this one guy in the plane that refuses to wear his flak helmet because it keeps falling down in front of his face. And so every time he goes to look down at one of the charts, it would fall down. So he would always take it off. And my my somebody on the plane, and I, I, I must, I'm remembering it to be my dad, but it might not have been my dad. But somebody on the plane during one of the battles said, get your helmet on and put the helmet on his head at the last uh, at the last minute. And as soon as he put the helmet on, a big piece of flak bounced right off his forehead. And uh, he was wearing the medal at that time. Because they, they, they would switch it. They would just pass it around. Right. And he was wearing the medal, and the flak went off his helmet. And there were a couple other stories like that, that uh, eventually VG, who was the pilot, said, okay, that's everybody's medal, so we're going to put it up at the front of the plane. So he, they always had the medal on the front of the plane. And it was that mission they were on where um, uh, they're in a heavy flak situation, and they, they end up dropping altitude, and he gets pushed back and you have to understand that a pilot's seat has a metal cage around it right so you can you can push back and you have some sense of you're going to get helped well you can't fly that way it's very difficult to fly so nobody sits back there you're always out here with your arms so you can use your arms and you can fly the plane and battle you know anything well they 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 hit a pocket and he gets thrown back and there's flak that goes right up through the floor oh and misses where he was at and uh yeah, the mount, the medal of Car- that 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 Mount Carmel medal was. Uh, that's why Dad, you know, would say, I, "I have no doubt whatsoever that there's God." Now, now, keep in mind, doesn't mean that everybody lives. I mean, they had somebody right. that died on their plane that was shot and, mm-hmm. and took flak and ended up dying. You know, in my dad's arms. These are young kids. These are my dad was seventeen years old in right. the war, and yeah, but uh, yeah, so you know, we've we've got we don't have guardian angels. We've got beef. Dudes, I don't know the gals. If there's, I don't think that they're male or female. I think they're both. I think they're androgynous, but because they are spirit. But God, they got to be huge. I mean, they just got to be massively huge. I got to tell you. <laughs> so he becomes a he becomes a deacon. <laughs> Long story short, he becomes a deacon, and he's this is a life guy. You know, he's a he's a. They, in fact, one of the things, one of my favorite things that was said about my dad is he's a sidewalk theologian. He's not a he. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, an academic. He knew his scripture uh, from what he learned in the diaconate, and but he lived it. And so he could talk to you night and day about his faith, but he did it as if you were a guy having a beer. Mm-hmm. And it was always, it was always, always that way. God was very real, but he could, he always knew how to defend his faith and how to talk about his faith. And he's a long talker like me, like this podcast will demonstrate uh, that he could just go on. And I remember that when he when he did the youth groups, whenever he gave his talks. I tried like crazy, but I failed almost every time where I would fall asleep. Every single time my dad started to talk, I would fall asleep. And I and I didn't and I didn't mean it, but I, I just couldn't stay awake. So I, I don't get mad when, when my kids say, Oh god, dad's talking again, so they're gone. I mean I totally get it. So 
So your um, so your dad, wow, man. So Budapest, mm-hmm. and he had to go and fight his basically his blood. Man, we were hoping it wasn't Johnny, but yeah, he had cousins. Yeah. In fact, they, it was kind of funny when the war broke out. My uh, my my grandmother, his mother, got a letter from the from some of her relatives over there that said, "Hey, you know, we need we need it's time for Louis to come. He needs to come and fight." And my, my grandmother went, oh, "Hell no!" Who's Louis? <laughs> Louis's my dad. Oh, yeah, my dad Louis. He's, he was the first one born here. Okay. Yeah, his parents were. Uh, you know, they, they came over. My, my grandfather basically came over. He was classic, you know, $12 in his pocket. Him and his brother got on a steam show, you know, steamboat somehow and got it over here. And my mother came from um, a little bit. Well, her, her father was actually quite well-to-do, but they left everything. When they left hungry, they left everything. Yeah. But um, they must have been doing okay or doing quite well because he was able to bring his entire family at once, except for a couple daughters that wanted to stay. And that was unusual. So he must have been doing quite well. So when your dad decided to become a deacon, what year was this? I don't know the year. I know it was his, probably in the 70s, 75, 76, something like that. Yeah, so, but it was uh, in the 70s. Is it like it is today where it's a process or is it? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, it was five years. It was a, it's a five-year. It was a five-year process then um, where he he says yes. And then there's several stages where you go through and... And there are doorways, so you have a year of inquiry. It's, uh, that process hasn't changed much at all. So there's a year of inquiry where they say, "We accept your application, or we accept your your wanting to be and come in and get you know dip your feet in, and we're going to spend a year sort of growing together." And then there's a doorway where either you can say I'm in, or they can say you're out. And then that's called um, oh gosh, uh, mm, aspirancy. And then you spend a year where you actually start to study. And uh, go a little bit deeper, and then you then there's another doorway into candidacy, which is where I'm committed. Everybody's committed, and now the the education really starts, and you get, I mean, quite uh, quite the education, theological, you know, social, and all the things you need to to really help with the parish. So, what was life like when that started happening? Were you still at home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was home. I was uh, I was still at home. I was in high school when my dad got uh, ordained, I believe. Or, or uh, maybe I think it was a freshman. So that yeah, it must have been seventy eight, seventy six, seventy seven, something like that. Did the angels know that he was a deacon at this point? Oh yeah, everybody knew he was a deacon. In fact, um, the you know we had a we had lots of stories where we had this rash of um, uh, thefts in our neighborhood, and our entire court got robbed except our house, and they thought we did it. <laughs> They thought we were doing it because our house was the only one they'd get robbed. And in reality, I think what it came down to was they knew my dad. Yeah, as a deacon. My dad, yeah, they knew my dad. And these guys help out. Now, keep in mind that because of the of the dynamics, we had a lot of migrant workers. A lot of migrant workers. That's, in fact, my when my parents, when I say my parents were involved in the faith, they were involved. It wasn't just they were, they, you saw them on Sundays. My parents helped start. Head start with Cesar Chavez. He was he's known as a big uh, he's a big social worker and big social movement person out in California, working with the migrant workers. And so he did mm-hmm. a lot of things for migrant workers. And my my folks were helping him start. It's called Head Start, which is basically helping these families that are migrant workers and the kids. They they spend all day, you know, trying to make money with for the families. And so they brought the schools to them. And um, I can tell you, summer we spent summers out in the field, you know, getting to know these people and working with them and things like that. So my, my, my parents, my parents were were in it, 
I mean, they were they were in it all over the place, and yeah. One of my the biggest splash I ever got from that was we had the the school I went to. We had some big race riots in uh, in high school. I mean, race riots where uh-huh. you the the bell rung and you ran to get home. You ran as fast as you could because someone was going down. And when we had race riots, we had it was race riots. It was you know Mexicans versus the whites oh. versus the blacks. But it was very polarized. Right. And and I, when I'm talking when I'm talking riots, I'm talking rocks, sticks, bats with nails. You were going. Someone was getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Someone was going down. And there was one time um, I am I am at, at school and our lockers were in this giant U shape type of thing. And so. I was at my locker and I was talking to this guy, a kid I'd never really met, but he was on the basketball team, tall, lanky kid. And all of a sudden it got dark. And I turn around and there's a group of guys, like seven or eight guys, that were blocking the entrance. And they were what we affectionately call cholos. You know, these were you know, mm-hmm. Spanish guys, Mexican guys. And so they had the bandanas and everything else. And I noticed one of the guys had an axe head in his hand. So we were in trouble. I, I've no, I, I know we, I knew we were in trouble. We were in big trouble. And they were trying to start a fight, and uh, trying to start a fight with me, and they try to start a fight. And I, I, I am, I did. I, I knew we were we were we were about to get hurt pretty good. And then I noticed one of the guys in the back was his name was Anthony, and I had spent many a summer with him and his family and, and the whole group. It was just a big right. group of us. And I latched onto him, and I just started talking to him, going, "Anthony, Anthony, it's me, Michael. Like, what, are you, what are you doing? Don't do this, man. Do this." And the kid next to me is who they were really after. I don't know what for, but they were really after him. He's in a fetal position, crying on the ground, and I'm trying to talk my way out of this. I'm looking, Anthony, come on, Anthony, it's me, Michael. And all of a sudden, you see him look out from his bandana. He looks under, and he goes, "Oh yeah." He goes, you're the funny guy. I went, yes, I'm the I'm funny fun. guy. And he's like, oh no, man, this guy's cool. This guy's cool, and they didn't they didn't hurt us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, that was my my saving grace of of <laughs> of trying to be cross cultural from the you know from a very early age. I I don't see color. I don't see you know. I don't see. You know, I'm not a big prosperity guy. God could care less if you got money. It's got nothing to do with nothing. And I don't. I, I'm just. I just from my background. I just. Yeah. Everybody's. It's all about. It's more about character than anything else. Not about your social class. Not about where you came from. Not about what color your skin is. It's about your character. What church did you go to? What What church was this? Is it still there? Yeah, St. Julie's. St. Julie's down at the end of Cottle Road. Yeah, yeah. We helped start that. They were they they broke off Saint, Santa Teresa up the street. Got too big, and because it was a growing area, South San Jose was starting to boom, and so they ended up splitting. And uh, the the church that, that that left from there was planted Saint Saint Julie's, and we helped build it. Like I said, my my folks were we were knee deep in the community, and we our first gosh first three years of the church. I was myself and my and my brother Pete were uh, Father Matt's first altar boys. He was assigned to our our church. And we were his very first altar boys, and we we actually spent three years in what we called the catacombs. Mm. We were at the St. Julie's met at the basement, you know, like St. Woodlake for St. Catherine's right, met yeah. at a gym. We met at the basement of a hospital, which was Santa Teresa Hospital. So the church was in the basement of a hospital for about three years. It's quite the community building thing. Your dad was a deacon there? Uh, no, he was not the deacon. Just involved, big time. Wait a minute, no, no. Actually, he was a deacon. He was. Uh, or he was going. He was going through the process. I don't think he was ordained yet, but he was going through the process. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one thing the deacons uh, 
people may not, may not know they're, they're they they're not stationed in their home church. No, they move them around. Yeah, although although he was he was for the longest time he was at St. Julie's. Yeah, wow, he was stationed at St. Julie's. So what what is it mm-hmm. like? Okay, so you're you said your sophomore freshman in high school and dad became a deacon. Mm-hmm. So what was it like after when you when he says, "Hey, everybody, I'm going to go through this." Was it a surprise or was it just like, okay? Yeah, I don't remember it being a surprise. I do remember having great talks with him because when you become a deacon, you have to really understand it's it's as much of a commitment for you as it is for him because, well, I take that back. You have to become aware that your dad is being ordained to be at the disposal of the bishop. Yeah. And if you've got a large diocese, that could be anywhere. You are there to serve. And so he is committing himself to a life of servitude. And that's why your wife has to become a part of it with you. It's not just, oh my gosh, I'm the victim of my husband becoming a deacon. No, no, a wife is just as much of the process as the husband is, even though they don't get the degree. Even though my dad never got a degree either, but um, they didn't didn't have that. Some, Some parishes, after you end up, after you go through your education, you actually end up getting a master's. Well... Some some dioceses don't do that. Fort Worth doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. But um, Dallas, I've never heard of that either. Yeah. Dallas, but um, but the at the time, my mother went through just the, the same education as my dad did. Yeah, because you're you're about to dedicate yourself, and so in the very beginning, when we first started talking, we were, I was talking about you know losing your parents or, or that your parent your dad was more for the church than it was for you. My dad was for the world, and when I say that is because he served the church. He was gone a lot, you know. Um, and uh, that that had a, a negative impact later on down the road when he they ended up moving up to Alaska, and he was because they have a shortage of priests up there. He and my mother actually um, ran uh, a mission church up in Alaska in Eagle River, uh, Our Lady of the Lake up in Alaska. And actually, at one time, it was the fastest growing church in Alaska because <laughs> they have a they have a gift of of bringing people home and building community, and. Um, uh, the massive job, but at the same time, you know, it's like, Dad, you know, we got our kids. This is happening. We're, we're giving you an airplane ticket. Come on down, and uh, you know, they're, they're my, your your child, your granddaughter's being baptized. Well, I appreciate that, but uh, you know, I can't because this is always I can't. Uh, and so the church became first, and that was that's you know that's got its challenges. Wow. Yeah, but as a as a young man growing up, now I I considered becoming a deacon myself. And I remember one of the times I, did, I discerned for it, I went in and had some, and had a great talk with with a priest. And there was another deacon that I was talking good friends with, and, and we were all kind of kind of saying, "Okay, here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys think?" And he asked me one question that really hit home. He goes, "Now your dad was a deacon." I go, "Yep." He goes, "Your dad was a deacon when you were in high school." I go, "Yes, he was." He goes, uh, "Your son's about to enter high school. You know what a commitment it's going to be for you. Is that going to be is that going to be good for your son?" And I went, "Nope." <laughs> so I didn't. I did not. Uh, did oh. not discern to join the diaconate at that time. Was it a big? Was it a good thing for you when your dad went through it? The question was. Yeah. Well, it was. I, I remember the commitment that it took. Yeah. And um, and I I allowed my dad to have it, but there there I really missed my dad. Yeah. There's a our deacon. His daughter says the same thing. I I don't have my dad no more. Yeah. And he's. I talked to her years ago. We used to talk all the time. I said, what's it like? She says, I miss my dad. Yeah. I have my dad, but I don't have my dad. Yeah. The church has my dad. Y'all have my dad. I don't yeah. got my dad. Yeah. 
It sucks. They they really <laughs> my and I've I've we've come to we've come to grips with that. I've come to grips with that a lot. But I have to tell you, there were times when I was tremendously angry at yeah. the, at um, uh, uh, just the just the the attitude of. I remember him distinctly saying. I can't be at this event because there's a homeless person that might come and see me at this time. So we can. It was a major event, like oh, whether it was a major birthday or it was a like a, a like a graduation of something. It was a major event. It might have been a spiritual thing, like a baptism or a confirmation. And I can't go because there's somebody that I don't know that may need me. Wow. <laughs> it's like really. So that okay. so the deacon. So then you're like like the an Protestant church leader, preacher's child. Like uh, most most pe- most children I grew up with in my church, um, and a non-denominational church, the the preacher's kid was always the worst kid mm-hmm. because they weren't they dad wasn't always there. Dad was at the church, so they, there's no attention given to the child because all the attention was for the parish church. So, uh, I think I think that's you know looking back and, and, and experiencing it. I think I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I don't think that's the excuse. No. I just think that's the excuse that we used. So what, did you rebel a lot? Were you just no? Like I said, growing up, I I it was I was very aware of. It's kind of weird, and I sound so prissy when I say it, but uh, I really hate this part because if you talk with my brothers, yeah, there was it was black or white. Oh. And I remember making choices, like my, my us three boys. There's my two brothers, and there's me, oh. because, like I said, we 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 had every opportunity to be hellions, and I mean I mean hellions like bad break the law stuff. Well, especially with the angels next door. Yeah. Hey, I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Um, uh, I mean the people in our pack were drug runners and yeah. everything else. I have never I have never tried drugs, illegal drugs in my life. But that doesn't mean that everybody around me did not. But it was a conscious choice because I saw because they lived with us for our entire lives. Yeah. And I, I made a conscious choice. I don't want that. And so uh, it was a it was a conscious choice. I saw my brothers go down dark holes and times in their lives and the struggles that they had with it, and it, it became very clear. And so because of that, there were divisions. There were divisions in the family. And my dad, uh, you, I, I, I've never, I've never used that as an excuse to misbehave or anything else. It was more of a, I am very aware of what right is, and I'm very aware of what wrong is. And if, and I remember as a young man saying, "You can hate me if you want." I'll give you a specific example of the phrase, the phrase, the phrase mentioned to my siblings: "You can hate me if you want to, but I'm telling Dad." Gosh dang it, Mike! You're such a bummer. I go, "Hey, you can get mad at me, do everything you want, but I am going, I am going to turn you in. If you go, if you try that tonight." I'm going to turn you in. I was that kid. And it was not because I was a prude or anything like that. I just saw, I saw the the, the deep end of it real early. I mean, we had hell's angels growing up. You don't want to be like that. And and it was, it was very clear that I was in that movie. I was the, the, the brother that went, I'm going to lean towards this and you're going to hate me, but hate me if you want to, but I'm not going to let you do that. Mm -hmm. It ain't going to happen. And so they 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 hated me. 
What was your mom's taking all this during this time? My mom loved everybody. My mom was yeah. a strong woman. Yeah, she was, she was my 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 us three boys were blessed to have my mom because she had the gamut of kids, and they were all power children. They were all nobody was on the fence. They were all epic on either side, you know. So, yeah. and she handled it all with grace. That's why we're all adults and we all have faith. Yeah. I have one brother who thinks he's an atheist, but he's just angry. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've heard you say that many times. I think it's funnier yeah. time. He's just angry. He, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I you know, like I said, the the world. Dad was for the world. Mom was for us. Hmm. Mom was the one that kept bringing us back. Yeah. So when you're. Uh, your dad got was ordained a deacon. I've, I've been to ordinations before, and they are amazing. Mm-hmm. Was yours? Was yours? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And keep in mind because we because we, we were in the church, you know, we, uh, you know, we were we were acolytes. We were we were we were, we were altar boys, and so we used to serve the bishop, and uh, we were involved in all that. We weren't we we were not in his ordination, but I I remember being at the cathedral and having the, one of the most beautiful things is when they prostrate themselves on the altar yeah and uh, prostrate means they lay down yeah laying down on the altar and just giving it all giving giving it all there's nothing left just giving it all and so we kind of it's not like we were we came ended up angry and bitter but it's like it's like the person you were talking about whose father's a deacon you become aware of what that really means down the road Mm -hmm. yeah but but as far as the church the smells and the bells and the the uh, the sacraments and all that stuff uh it was all part of our life. It was all part of our life. Did, it was that stuff at around the house, the bells, and it's like I know, I know, I know. Our deacon he'll take some stuff. But he has stuff at home. He has his own little things at home. Mm-hmm. Does your dad have that like uh, chalice or patent cup and a plate? No, no, no. But I will, I will tell you this though. Um, uh, you know, when they had the traveling statues coming around or things that were, you know, they, they always spent time at our house. Yeah. I remember the 72 uh, Olympics when uh, in uh, Munich, when oh. the, uh, uh, I, when the, when the, the Jewish team was overrun and the, mm-hmm. was a, the, the right. helicopters blew up and everything. I remember that specifically because that was the very first time I was ever, I, I have a visceral memory of, uh, I think it was, I was nine years old, and I remember spending all of those days on our knees as a family in front of the TV, playing, praying the rosary. Wow! Big time, yeah, big time. That was that was mom's weapon. That was dad's weapon too. I, in fact, I have my dad's rosary, where you 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 got out the guns, Jack. Oh man, yeah, yeah. It was we. You, I don't know if it was classic Catholic family, but. Like I said, you know, you say all that stuff, but really what it comes down to was it was part of life. And that's what I think most, I don't know, I hate saying most because it's so stupid, but I think a lot of people miss out. They think, you know, church is for Sundays. Um, it's supposed yeah. to be a way of life. It's supposed to be all around you. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be your thinking. Yeah. You know? That's what that's what our faith is for. It's not something you just don on and go put on a suit. It's like I've got to put on a suit and I also got to put on my holy hat when I go to church. It's, yeah, God sees right through that, Jack. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, when I got really uh, I, I backed off a lot since then. But when I came back to the church, I jumped in. I got really heavily involved, and and I remember saying to myself, "This is every day. This is no longer." just Sundays this is every single day and and um, when I met Julie 
um, she said, you're really involved in a church. I said, yeah, I'm very involved in church. Because I, I was in the nights and several other ministries that met on different nights of the week, Monday, and then Wednesday and a Thursday because of softball, and then um, like Tuesday and Friday was my day off. Mm-hmm. But Saturday and Sunday, I was at church. Mm-hmm. And so it was a thing. And Julie asked me one day, says, are we going to be able to do stuff together? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, we are. And Friday night was that night for me and her. But um, in the beginning, though, it was just like nonstop. And I, I came to realize that, okay, this is no longer what I grew up with. This is every single day. Because growing up, it's like, oh, see Sunday. But in my thirty, my early 30s, it was, I'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm not paid to do this, I'm serving because I want to. And there's a and there's a you know and there's a difference between I'm going to spend every day here, nah. uh, as in that's what it's supposed to be, as opposed to no 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 I'm talking about faith. You know I'm talking about our faith is supposed to be every oh, day. Yeah. Our mm-hmm. faith is supposed to be something that we use to think and stuff like that. I like being at church. I'll try to do be daily communicant if I can, um, but the 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 reason why I come to church on Sunday is to be is to be equipped it's to be you know, to receive it's to participate in the in, in the continuous you know, sacrificial offering of Jesus it's to get the, the the food to 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 send me out and sending out doesn't mean send me out to the parking lot and then I can forget about it until next Sunday morning it's to send me out to live it and you know and so that's why when you tell all these stories about stuff it's not it's not necessarily most of those stories didn't even happen at church it wasn't at the building. No. It was just part of our the way we saw things and the way we think. But but what you had mentioned is very classic. When people refine their faith, everything jumps in, and you you she even made you aware of it. You have to pay attention that it becomes you don't want to become scrupulous where where you turn over everything. Everything becomes I have to do these things in order to live my faith, as opposed to. I, I give what I can because I want so much. That's what I love about you is that you came so hungry, and you're just eating up every, everything. Is everything is everything everything? Well, why? It's so that you can be of influence to to Julie and to the, the her sons and to and to the people that you have, and and not and it's not a separate thing. It's and so that we, and finding that balance is so hard. Yeah, it was very hard. It's very very difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it's very difficult. Uh, I I had to actually I had to. Pretty much took a summer off to be able to figure out where I needed to be. And when I tell people like that now um, who want to get involved, I said, okay, jump in, but let's talk in a few months because you're going to want to, you'll start getting tired. You'll start seeing like, okay, I need mm-hmm. to, I, I need to, then you'll pick something. Mm-hmm. Like with our with our young friend, I when he jumped in, I was like, okay, go for it. When you're ready to talk about what you need to do, let's talk. Let's let's figure out where you need to back off so that way you have some peace of mind and some time to rest. Right, because rest you can. is very important in ministry, man. Oh, God, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. Jesus went off to the woods for a while to be alone. I think I, to be, yeah. I think back then when I drank, I found my night spending a lot of times drinking beer just just to be able to breathe myself, get myself breathe. Because I came home so exhausted, like oh, okay. But yes, so. Church Table Productions is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm, the one-stop shop to get your podcast off the ground. Anchor.fm. So you met your wife in high school, or right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was a Nazi. She was a nun. It was meant to be. Far out. Yeah, uh, we were in a, a summer stock show in our junior senior year, and we were doing Sound of Music. 
and uh, I was I played Herr Zeller, the evil Nazi dude. Mm. Are you being serious? Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. you were messing around. Yeah. Okay. It's like God, what a bad joke for a Christian. <laughs> show, and she was the novitiate. Uh, she was in the chorus, and uh, uh, yeah. So I was a Nazi. She was a nun. But um, actually, we met. Yeah, she, we went to. She, she was uh, on the. The, the good side of San Jose. She was up against the, the, the foothills and and um, from the big school, from the... Uh, in fact, the reason why we did the summer stock at her school is because her school was a magnet school and they had mm-hmm. a professional theater. And uh, literally a professional Broadway-level theater in a high school. There were five high schools in one of this of this magnet school that was the, the golden child of the district. So... Uh, Wow. We, did, we did our plays in a cafeteria, and they did their plays at a Broadway professional theater. So we had the Summerstock. So there was a Summerstock theater company, and, and uh, mm-hmm. I was into, you know, I was going to be an actor, so I, was, I did lots of that. And Michelle happened to go to that school, and the music director was the music director for the musical, and he wanted some of the students that he had worked with to be in the play. So he asked Michelle to come in the play. And the very first night when we met, she invited myself and my two brothers that were also in the show and a friend of mine, and we went out to ice cream, and the rest is history. I knew that night. I knew. This is the woman I would marry. We were 15. Did she ever come over to your house? Yeah. Matter of fact, um, my dad was a great wingman because uh, <laughs> my mom and my dad, um, she came from, uh, her parents had a, a, a very bitter divorce and but lovely people, but they just, they really, their marriage ended very, very roughly and it had a major impact on the kids. And, and my, my wife will tell you first off that she fell in love with the way my dad loved my mom. Oh yeah! Oh, I know. That's a, that's a, like I said. Where's the tissue? Where's the, it's beautiful, man. But he he loved to actually he to be honest with you, the way she put it, she loved to watch my dad play grab ass with my mom in the kitchen because <laughs> he would always have his hands on her and she was always swatting him away, and they were old, so you know she loved that. Yeah. She loved that, and that was that that made me look a lot you know pretty good. Was it a culture shock for her to come see the Hell's Angels? Yeah, they, they really, you know, I have to tell you, the Hells Angels were, were, I never saw anything out of a movie. They were always just, you know, nice guys that looked like they could rip your hair out in a minute. But uh, they had cool bikes and they, you know, I, I could tell you what, a, what it's like to ride a chopper. And uh, I could tell you what it's like to go up to a house that is the, the, the front of the house is covered with beer um, boxes that are ready to be drank. I mean, it was a, it was a party house. That's what it was used for. Huh. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, talk. so so but but the, the yeah I met Michelle in high school and um, uh, we we dated for about two and a half years. We got married at nineteen. We got married very very young, right out of high school, and uh, we had great plans. I mean, we were going to go down to Hollywood, and uh, actually, I wanted to go down to Hollywood. She just she wanted she wanted a house with a little white picket fence and children. That's what she wanted. That's all she really wanted ever. Um, uh, and I learned very fast that <laughs> I could not be an actor and have a happy wife at the same time. I just couldn't do it. So uh, uh, we we went back to school and got our degree. And uh, my, my eight-year, two-year degree, I call it my associate's degree. I have an eight-year, two-year degree. Basically, I was away from school for a while, and I went back and said, I, I got to get something to help me out here. Am I close to anything? And they said, yeah, you've got about, gosh, 120 units. 
And I went, really? That's like two associate degrees. Give it, give, give me a bachelor's. They said, well, 30 are usable. And the rest are just duplicates, you know, because you did a lot of plays. So I went back and finished my associates. And, uh, and that's, that's the extent of my learned knowledge from the academia world. The rest is like my dad. I'm a, I'm a, high, I'm a, I'm a sidewalk theologian. But, um, yeah, um, we got married. We, um, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur, and so my wife has uh, kind of uh, lived through that and uh, uh, gone with me through all of my shenanigans and, and uh, business ventures. And uh, uh, eventually I started working. She got pregnant for the fourth time, and, and we, we had kids. We didn't have kids for five years, so we were pretty – God was good. He knew that we needed to grow up a bit. So we could not have children. I mean, no matter, we didn't not try. So, and we didn't do anything to stop it, but we didn't have any kids until our fifth year. And then it was kind of funny. The joke is, it really wasn't a joke. It's She would say, no, I don't want to have kids. And I would say yes, or I would say yes. And she would say no. But the moment we said yes together, bam, children. So, and we had, and we had, they couldn't, Ooh. they wouldn't stop. So we had four within four. We had, we had like quadruplets. <laughs> Uh, four four children within four years, and when she was pregnant with Joseph, the fourth child, um, we needed maternity insurance. I didn't have any maternity insurance, so I started selling for a company. I, I usually went and sold something. I was always very good at sales, which is what you do with an acting background if you don't know how. To, if you're going to go into business, you go sell stuff. So I was always good with people, and um, and I went and sold uh, cabinet refacing for a company called American Remodeling, and did very very well. And uh, got an opportunity where I was uh, promoted to national sales trainer. And that brought us out to Dallas. And my wife was very excited because it sounded like a real job and a real career. And we were going to be real grown-ups. So we <laughs> packed up the kids and we came out to Texas. And uh, that's how we became Texans. Moved mm-hmm. out here in 92. And been out here ever since. So half my life was in Tex- in California. And then half my life has now been in Texas. Yeah. I want more detail than that, man. <laughs> in what area? Give me, a, give me a focus. Okay, so I remember you telling us one story about when you first saw her. Oh. You're on stage. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember the story. You're like, oh my god, that's her. Uh, well, yeah, I, I can tell you, she was uh, she was with a guy who I found out was her best friend, and they were just friends. They've always just been been, been very good friends. Uh, matter of fact, she'll still tell you, you know, ew. But uh, he actually lived with their family and was really a part of the family. But they were in the same grade and they were very close. And uh, they were actually wearing matching outfits. So that's why I kind of thought, okay, this guy's together. But he was... um, uh, They were both dressed as nuns? No, they they weren't nuns. They they actually came to the rehearsal in jogging clothes. So they were wearing shorts. And she was wearing green satin shorts and a tank top. Yes, uh, this is a story. Yeah, yeah. And that was it, man. She was a looker. She had the, uh, she had a, it wasn't a Dorothy Hamill haircut, but it was pretty close. Dorothy Hamill. Dorothy Hamill haircut. She was a, oh, uh, an Olympic Poor champion. young fool. I know. Damn, you She know. was the hot thing in uh, the Olympics. She was the, she was an ice skater and uh, her hair was like the, uh, oh, uh, okay. yeah, it was like the friends. What's the friends person? Um, uh, uh, Ross's girlfriend. Oh, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, yeah. So it was Jennifer Jennifer Aniston. Well, what's her character's name? Rachel. Yeah, it was Rachel. It was a Rachel haircut of the day. Dorothy wow. Hamill. Okay. So Michelle was a bomb, man. She walked in and it was a. Everybody stopped the presses. I can't even remember what my name is. And so when we went out for ice cream that night, because <laughs> keep in mind we were kids. Uh, I think I, I think I had just turned sixteen. She was still fifteen, and uh, she was working at the local. Uh, 
Uh, I think she was working at Burger King at the time. So we were, but yeah, we went out to ice cream that night, and I had cherry chip ice cream for the first time, and I knew it was love. It was love, Jack. She was cherry she she chip. stopped my heart. It was it. I even told my mom, "Found the woman. I'm gonna marry." <laughs> she goes, "Okay, relax." How long did it take Michelle to agree to that? I, I think she's still deciding. Okay. I'll be honest with you. She's uh, she's been the victim of that her entire life. It's sad, sad really. Yeah, but it was uh, it really, we just kind of hit it off. We it was it's you know what we had uh, when we were dating. We had one fight, and it was a good one to the point where our friends were like, "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen with you guys?" Because yeah, it's high school. Right. But um, but I think the secret was we went to separate high schools. <laughs> so we stayed together. You oh, know, we didn't yeah. we didn't live on top of each other. But uh yeah, we had a we had a great relationship. We dated dated for a long time. Um I think one of our I think what kids face these days is uh is we were equally yoked in the faith department. You know, she was uh she's Catholic and I was Catholic and and so we we had a, that that commonality and and any challenge that we've faced we faced lots of challenges in our lives, in our marriage, you know, and uh, not not as a relationship, but just in things that we've had to face as people and couples and families and stuff. It's been the bedrock. It's been the one thing is that we've we've been equally yoked in that fashion. People who get married today, they're say they're nineteen and get married. I'm like, why, why, why so why would early? You do that? Yeah, her mother actually yeah. did not like me for a long time. <laughs> the joke is that. <laughs> This is a terrible joke. I shouldn't put this on on the record, but the, <laughs> but the joke was that she, I was the first. Michelle was the first in her family to be married. Okay, and it was very young, and uh, her mother really didn't agree with it at all. Um, but she went along with it, and she, the and and then yeah, it was. She thought I was the Antichrist, um, and so the joke was I was the Antichrist until her sister actually married the Antichrist, and then we could look and go, look, I'm not that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, hey. Oh, uh. Was she Catholic when you were? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah well, that's they, easy they to know. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, like I said, we were equally yoked in that department. But uh, yeah. um, but it was rough, you know, growing up um, uh, growing up together. You know, uh, I literally, we were 15 and we were dating. I had just turned 16. She was about to turn 16 when we started dating. So we were babies. Babies. Babies, babies. We just knew. Yeah, it was just something that was that we, we were in. Um. I like to say it was perfect. It wasn't perfect, you know. It's, it's all our relationship is great, but uh, we moved out to Texas, and this is this is I think the, the the important thing about the you know moving out to Texas and our faith. That's been a big part of our walk is uh, Michelle. I don't know. I can tell the story in a, a truncated type of way, um, but very significant things. Michelle's I, I, with all this background that you've just heard about me. I am a big believer. I believe in Jesus. I know there's a Jesus. I know there's a God. I'm a big believer in God. Couldn't tell you about it. Couldn't, couldn't, uh, I've never read the Bible. I never, I didn't know anything, but I lived in it. And so I've heard the Bible. I've been a, I was a churchgoer. I, I, I opened up, I worked for the church. So I was at every mass for like five years. I was at every mass because my brother and I worked the church which means we opened the doors we set up each mass we were there for all the masses on sunday Mm -hmm. so i've been to many many masses we are altar boys and acolytes and so i know scripture because i've heard scripture but it wasn't because i studied or read it but i but i knew of it i knew I, i knew i knew my faith that way well michelle's brother her family you know they because of what they went through her brother was really searching for his faith and he became a 
uh, another denomination. He became a Calvinist Baptist, which sometimes has a tendency not to think too kindly on the Catholics. And so we became a target. And uh, when, as his faith really got on fire, uh, because he was searching, and the pastor that was very, very good for him, because he needed, he was the, the only boy, he, was, he, was, he needed a strong figure, and, and he really found his faith and became very involved in his faith. And so because we were Catholic, we were going to hell, and he came <laughs> after us. And I could, and we were married. We were, gosh, I was, it was, I was nineteen, twenty years old when this was happening. So I wasn't a baby. I wasn't a kid. But um, I remember, you know, great talks with Mark, and Mark was knee deep in it. Man, he he was studying. He was on fire, and so he would, he would come to us and and say, "We need to talk because you're going to hell, and I need to, we need to stop this." And that was the first time ever in my life I was ever quizzed on. Why do you believe what you believe? That's actually one of the questions I have scripted is were you ever questioned? And you were. Yeah, it was by my brother-in-law. Absolutely. Why do you believe what you believe? Or you believe this. Um, you believe, you know, you, you, you treat Mary as God. Um, oh. You call Father, Father. And there's, it says right here in the Bible that call no man Father. You, you pray to statues. Uh, where it says here about golden, you know, or, or graven images. You, yeah. And so it just gives you all the classic stuff. And, and my classic answer was, nuh-uh. You know, that was it. That's all I had. <laughs> so <laughs> I do not. And I knew that it, he was wrong, but I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. And he was the very first one that ever challenged me on my faith why do you believe what you believe because it's not just being a believer in Christ now you're talking about what you believe in your faith because I say I'm a believer in Christ too you say you're a believer in Christ and I'm telling you you're wrong in how you believe in Christ and I could not respond and um, uh, I remember I remember a, a, a one particular time it was pretty vicious and I was very emotionally upset and um, I went to my father and I was mad at my brother-in-law. And I went to my dad, and I was looking for the ammo. I said, "You're a learned man. You know why we believe. So give me the give me the words, man. Go give me the Bible verses. I want them written out. I'm ready. I got my pen, pad. Give it to me. Got to shove it down his throat." And my father let me vent for about an hour. As I'm I'm literally I'm shaking. I'm so mad on the couch. I remember I was crying so hard. I was just just venting. My dad just listened to me for like an hour and a half. And at the very end, uh, he said, "He goes, wow." He goes, well, I'll tell you what, here's what I'll do for you. <laughs> and then his famous phrase, he says, I, I will pray that one day you will have so much conviction and love about in your faith and love for your family that you would be willing to do what Mark did, which is risk his relationship with his family because he doesn't want you to go to hell. And challenge you in your faith, he says. That's a, it's a very, very brave thing, and I hope you have that one day, Mike. And they got up and left, <laughs> and it's like, no fair. You don't even know. You don't know the words. You know, I thought, oh man. But but what what he was telling me was exactly right, which is, it's not an argument, and what he's doing is he's challenging you. And my dad was going, why don't you know your faith? Mm -hmm. And I look back now, I go, because I was catechized poorly. <laughs> when I wasn't, yeah. it was just different. 
it was very it was very different. I now when I look back, I know I knew the stories. I knew the stories. I, I know I know. I couldn't tell you where it's at, but mm-hmm. I but I I actually know quite a bit about my faith. I just couldn't pre- present it in an argument like like Mark was doing to have those type of discussions. But he was the very first one that first of all made me quite aware that there is a difference. Just because you're a believer in Jesus doesn't mean you're under the same roof. We got a lot of denominations. That was the first time the curtain was really pulled back and said, "Hey, we got lots of brothers and sisters out here who don't agree with us." And um, uh, I remember having quite the wrestles with my parents. I mean, all night long wrestles with my parents, especially with my brother-in-law that caused that said this. And my mother said something that planted a seed. She says, "You do realize." that you're not going to heaven because you're a Catholic. And I went, what? Oh. Yeah, she goes, you're not going to heaven because of a pledge pin. It's not like you, you're going to, you're going to heaven because of what Christ did for you on the cross. The reason why you're a Catholic or that we hope you're a Catholic is because you're living out that mystery through the Catholic rite. You're you're trying to understand the mystery and and get into the mystery and 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 live in the mystery, of of that whole concept of why we need a redeemer and and how he set it up and why he set it up, and you're doing that through the Catholic rite. And I, and it was like wow, and I misinterpreted that. I'll tell you why in a second. But I, I hung on to that for a long time. So fast forward, we're in Texas. Uh, it's our first Easter here. And we're finding a uh, a church, so we go to St. Catherine's, which is down the street, and it's raining. And I've got four kids in a stroller, four children under four years, so they're in a stroller and uh, starting to rain. And we go to St. Catherine's, and we're there a little bit late, so it, the church is packed. This is before it was built; the, the new church was built. This is the old church, so it was the St. Francis Hall, and it was it was over overflowing. They had speakers on the outside for people that were standing outside, literally outside the building, and. Um, I had four kids in strollers. There's no way I'm going to stand in the rain during Easter service. It's not going to happen. So, and it wasn't raining. It was sprinkling. But we're still not going to do it. So I, we, we turned around, packed the kids in the car. We're going to drive around for an hour and come back to the next Mass. And down the street from our church is another church that was a non-denomination church. It was a, uh, that was saying, our, and it said right there on their thing that our, we're having services. And um, our services are starting, you know, right now. So it's like... You want to you want to go spend Easter with these guys? Let's go. Let's go check it out. And we went in, and we uh, were met by the nicest, most loving, <laughs> two hundred person church, all about the same age as us. All got kids just like us. It was an entire church of us. Same. It was like uh, Stepford people. It was fantastic. It was like built just for us. And they sucked us in, and we were looking for a home. And we were out in Texas. And then we had no family here, and both of us have large families. She's got four, bro- I mean, five brothers and sisters. I've got eight. So you know, we we had large families out in Texas. We had nothing, and so we we've been we've been searching for a home. And so we and the reason why I could go there was from all that setup with my brother-in-law Mark, because through this education that he was giving us, not that I'd never known somebody who wasn't Catholic. I have friends who weren't Catholic growing up. I mean, that wasn't ever an issue. We was never challenged on it. And so, so through all of that. I misinterpreted what my mother said and that voice stuck with me and gave me an excuse to let's go visit and we visited for 10 years <laughs> we got sucked into the community we love these people they were fantastic and they were uh, an assemblies of god church uh, very charismatic 
uh, loved Jesus, knew the word. I mean, in 10 years, I never heard a discouraging word about being Catholic or anything about anybody, really discouraging from the pulpit. Um, we got knee-deep in it. I became a deacon, which is very different than a Catholic deacon. It's not an ordained position. It's just on the board. But um, I became a deacon on the church, which is very high up in their church, and, you know, running the, running the, the, the church. Matter of fact, uh, they ended up building a new building off of Eisenhower. I was on my watch. I helped create that, build that. We were knee-deep in it. My, my wife, Michelle, ran the, uh, ran the Missionettes, which is the... Uh, Eisenhower's. Mm-hmm. Um, off of uh, Victory, Bel- yeah, Victory Assembly. It's where Eisenhower and Heber meet. Oh, right I, there by the yeah. schools and the little bridge that goes across area. Really, I helped build that church. Yeah, from the ground up. In fact, okay. uh, the the picture of the golden shovels turning over the first dirt. I'm in it. You see me? I'm one of the one of the four. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wonderful, absolutely amazing community, and still wow. is an amazing, amazing community. But what happened was, is um, I never left the Catholic Church. Michelle never left the Catholic Church. Matter of fact, we're we're actually living out our faith with these folks. Yeah. And this is really, the, I guess, the culmination of everything that's kind of set me up to where I am now and has has taken the last 15 years from St. Catherine's mm-hmm. and given it focus. Because the 10 years before that, I was with this church. Our family was with this church. And um, about five years in, we loved it. And about five years into it, there was a woman, and you have to understand that when people came to visit, this this denomination has about 75% of their denomination is from fallen away Catholics. Right. And, and usually a fallen away Catholic is not necessarily a fallen away Catholic. They're just people who grew up in the church, but they never owned it. Uh-huh. Like me. Uh-huh. I grew up in the church. I never owned my faith, but I was in it. It was part of my life. I just mm-hmm. never really went out of my way to grab it. Well, we went to the... Whenever so we went there. We never actually left the Catholic Church, um, but we we had visited there. And this and, and so when somebody would come that were Catholic, they would come and show us, or they'd introduce us. I guess they're trying to make a connection. And Uh-oh. so we would always meet these people that were that had a Catholic background, and we'd find a common ground and stuff, and just talking. But there was one woman, and I remember Diane. And the very first time I ever heard it was from this woman who brought her over, and uh, she goes, "Hey, Mike, I want you to meet this one woman." And she introduced me. She goes, "And Mike used to be Catholic," and it caught me, and I went. I didn't. I, I'm, I didn't used to be Catholic. I'm still Catholic. I was kind of chiding mm-hmm. Diane. I said, "Stop saying that. I'm, I'm Catholic." And so the woman was like, "Oh, really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, absolutely." She goes, "Well, no kidding." I, she goes, "Where do you go?" I go, "Well, you know, we have a church right up the street, St. Catherine's, that uh, I, I like to frequent." Too. She goes, "Well, what do you? Aren't you on the board here? You're a deacon here." And I went, "Yeah, yeah." I'm like, she goes, "I'm confused." And then, and then, and then I knew I was in trouble. And she started going down the rabbit hole. She goes, "Well, so you." You, you go to this church? I go, yes. She goes, well, when do you receive the sacraments? And I knew I was in trouble. And I said, well, I, you know, we have, the, we have communion. She goes, that's not the sacraments. I go, I know, I know. That's not, this is not the body and blood of Christ. This is a remembrance. I go, yes, I get that. But I, I go to church you know, there whenever I can. And when my folks are in town, we usually go to Mass and things like that. She's going, okay. She goes, that's weird. She says, well, why do, you, why do you call yourself Catholic? She goes, don't you have kids? And it really hit me. God hit me upside the head with a two by four. And I go, yeah. I go, I got four. She goes, so you're not raising your kids Catholic. And I went, nope. No, I guess I'm not. And that's the very first time I'd ever put two and two together that I might have had a love for the Catholic Church, but my kids have spent the last five years of their life, their most formative years. They don't have, they don't have a clue about the Catholic faith. Mm. And, and, and that was the moment... It became. I became aware of 
how nonchalantly I walked away from what I had. And what I mean by walking away was she started something because she said, okay, then you're not a practicing Catholic. And that was the first time I had to say, no, I wasn't. I'm not a practicing Catholic. And that started the question, what is a practicing Catholic and why is it, why, what's the difference? And I really asked, what is the difference? Because we all love Jesus, so what's the deal? And it was me seeking out that answer that two things happened. I fell in love with the Eucharist. And keep in mind, you heard my background. I love church. I'm in church. I get church. How could I possibly walk away from the concept that this is the real body and blood of Christ so nonchalantly? And the answer was, I might have been around it. I might have been, I might have, I wasn't dragged to go like a lot of people, but I never owned it, which means I was around it, but I never got, it's kind of like Saul living in the temple and, and him not recognizing God's voice. It's, it's, you know, you're so, you're in it, you're right there, you know. It keeps saying, well, who, who is this? You know, I, I, who's talking to me? I, I, it was like that. I, I had grown up in it, but I never knew, I never owned it personally that I could walk away from it so nonchalantly and still say I had it, but I didn't, I didn't have a clue. I was a baby, I was a baby Catholic. I was in my mid-20s, actually mid-30s, and I was still a baby Christian. I still drinking milk. I had no, not a clue <laughs> as to the meat that had been around me my entire life. And, the, and when I went after it, as an adult, as a person that says, I need answers, what is the difference? I never, there was never an us versus them in denominations for me. It's just a deeper, I want, what, the, what I've learned is the Catholic Church is the Catholic Church for a reason. Christ did start the Catholic Church. The early church was Catholic. Sorry guys, if you're listening to this podcast, the early church was Catholic. They believed in the things the Catholic Church still believes in. It is a direct line connection all the way back to Peter and it, and and um, as the Catholic Church has grown in its in its its idea of doctrines and things the foundation stuff is still apostolic and why we believe what we believe is still the same and and that's why we can have scandals and we can have all kinds of things that rock the church matter of fact we came back to the Catholic Church which in, in a nutshell to finish that story it took me five years to really start, and keep in mind, I was on the board, so it couldn't just say, hey guys, I found Jesus, <laughs> and it's a Catholic Jesus, and I have to leave, because I didn't want to hurt the church. I didn't want to cause a church split or, or cause right. a problem. So it took those many years to start to wean off. Plus, I had to have my wife leave, and keep in mind, when you go to an Assemblies God church, this yeah. is everything. You do Saturdays, Sundays, Wednesday nights. Your entire church is living. This is your community. You have Your friends mm-hmm. are your church. Mm-hmm. So when we were going to say, we're going to go to the Catholic Church because my wife was literally going to follow me. She wasn't necessarily, I'm on board. She, trust me, ask her, she'll tell you. But Because um, she was very happy where she was at. But if we were going to do that, it meant usually that you would be walking away from everything. It cost us everything. Hmm. It cost us our friends. It cost us our group. Yeah, well, you know, we kind of started off talking about your relationship with Michelle. Mm-hmm. So expand on that a little bit during this process. Uh, how did I mean? You know, it's raining. It's Easter Sunday. You drive down the street, and she was like, "Okay, this is okay." Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, um, 
like I said, we found our community, right. and that's that's one of the things that we we always had, and that's why these I mean, we're still good friends with those people, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, love them to death, and the Holy Spirit is definitely there, uh, and they and they know Jesus and love Jesus, and we have great conversations about um, why, you know, what what is because what I what I really wanted, what I what I became on fire with for is. I I want an anti-reformation. We should not have two houses. We should there should not be multiple houses. There should mm. be one house. And and I come from a big messy family. And I know what messy family is. Mm. And I want to be part of bringing the family together again. Not so we didn't leave. You know, we're leaving you guys. You guys are wrong and I finally I have clarity and I must leave. It's just that I know that the fullness of faith is here to the point where it will cost you everything. This is not in remembrance. This is the body and blood of Christ. Where does that come from? It comes from the authority of the church. The Bible is the word of God. Why why do you put your faith in that? How can you put your faith of salvation in that? Because the Catholic Church says so. They're the ones that created the book. You know, the church was mm-hmm. around for 300 years before it was finally codified. It, it, God did not leave a book. He left a magisterium. He left a, teach, he left a teaching group of people. He left men and women to pass this on. And so it became about authority. It became, and that authority was really the one that made me go, I don't have all the answers yet, but I know if I'm going to follow the authority, I can't stay here. And Michelle was walking with me through all of this. Right. So it's not like I, I woke up one day and said, "Guess what? We're leaving." <laughs> it, it was it, like I said. It took five years. And well, did, so did she ever give you? Did she ever ask you about maybe we need to go to St. Catherine's or do something different during this time, or is she just? Is it just basically a mutual agreement that we're happy at this assembly of God? No, well, well, we, well, I'll tell you what happened was um, it was the idea that the thing that that lady started was the search, you know, was looking. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because you saw these dominoes start to fall. When I look back, you kind of see God's hand in it because it was at that same time Michelle's mother uh, gave us a tape of Scott Hahn's conversion, which has brought a lot of people back to the Catholic faith. And that tape was big to both of us on. Mm-hmm. Okay, why do we believe what we believe? Because I'm on fire right now for being a Catholic, and I'm not even going to the Catholic Church. So, um, uh, what is what's going on, and how do we how do we do this? And so, we started to study together. You know, okay. I did more uh, than than she did. Mm. She'll tell you, but uh, um, but we did. You know, we we really learned together. And anything, I I I started to get on fire about, and that's really what it was about. It's not like, oh my gosh, now I have clarity. It was more of an on fireness. I, I was, I could not, I became in love, I, I fell in love with the concept of God loving me so much that he would give me his body and his blood and what that meant and how it nourishes me and, and why it's food for the journey and why I have to come. And I could come every day. But the, that relationship, talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really believe that he gave me that 10 years in a uh, my, my Protestant denomination, brothers and sisters, he gave me 10 years in that life so that I could really understand more why I have what I have in my Catholic faith. I got on fire for my Catholic faith because because I was I, I was with my Protestant brothers for 10 years. I, that sounds weird, 
but it, it really started getting me to ask the questions. Michael, you've been around it, but you never asked. You never, you never really understood why. And then when I didn't have it, well, what's the difference? And why? Why is it different? And then, especially with the Eucharist, is this the body and blood? Is this the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus or not? And if it is, why is it? Well, it is because Jesus told us it was. You know, in, in John 6, and that, at the Last Supper, and, and how he set it up the way he did. He set it up on purpose to do it so that we could have him perpetual forever. So that in 2017, I can have him just as present in my heart and in my body and in my life as, as they did with the apostles. After he had risen from the dead. And he appeared to, to, to them in the, body, in, the, in the bread, in the breaking of the bread. Mm-hmm. And in the meal, he appeared to them after his death. The, the, the men from Emmaus, you know, on the road to Emmaus. He, he appeared to them. And after he explained scripture, they had dinner together. And they finally got it when he had the breaking of the bread. That's when he disappeared. Why did he disappear? Because he didn't have to be there because they had, they had the word. Because he had just spent the entire time explaining his Jesus from Moses to the present to these men. And then they had the Eucharist. They broke bread with him. Jesus doesn't have to be there. He's given them what he's needed. He's given them the word. He's given them the bread. He's given them the word and he's given them his flesh. That's what we have today. That's what we have today. And so he's just as present. So, you know, I, 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 I know how to answer those questions. Yeah, Why that, do you need... I was going to say, have you talked to your brother-in-law lately? My... The one who's basically started this whole path he went down of yeah, actually, questioning you know, he actually he died at 27 he, oh. yeah, he drowned unfortunately yeah he, he he passed away a uh black water shallow death uh well, i think it's called shallow water black death it's called he was basically abalone fishing the entire family was there except for us because we had just moved out here hmm. yeah it was, uh, it was a way to end the podcast Dude, yeah. no, we're gonna, <laughs> I can't Ouch. stop this, man. Just keep going. Ouch. Yeah. I can't stop this, so just keep going, man. Keep going. So, well, I mean, there's just, this is what I love about you because you get going. I'm just like, oh, feed me. Tell me more. Because I, I'm just like, God, don't stop. Like when we do this with the youth group, I'm just like, why is he stopping? No, this is a this is the best small group we have right now. Don't stop talking because, oh. Man, I appreciate that. You you just it just kills it. it just well, I, you know, if there's so anything, much. if there's anything, I I don't even know how to respond to that except thanks. But you know, I I I, I think our journeys are are similar. Everybody has the same journey, and that is God's constantly seeking you out, and He's going to take your circumstances, He's going to take your approach, He's going to take your life, He's going to take everything about you, and He's going to constantly seek after you. And the moment you start to respond to that, it's like, you know, we, we talk about, I've I've been away so long when in reality, you know, if God is everywhere, then where is he not? And, we, you know, where, where were you that God was not there? So it's not really about God, it's about you. And it's about you turning around and going, uh, I, I get you, you were right here. He goes, yeah, I've always been with you. I'm just waiting for you to acknowledge me so we can get to work, <laughs> you know? And, and he will give you, and that's the one promise I love about God. He says, if you seek, you will find, oh. and that's what that's what he did for me. That's my testimony. Is I sought, and dude showed up, and and I have not stopped. I just have not stopped. There it I, is. I am. I want to be. On, I want to be on fire. 
I want to be on fire for him. That's our that's that's our only calling. And like I said, I am so grateful for the time I spent with uh, my 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 brothers and sisters at this at Victory Assembly in Carrollton, Texas. And I have so many wonderful people and uh I want everybody to be Catholic. Everybody needs to be Catholic, not because of what they lack, but because there's so much more. Oh man. Yeah. There's just so much more. And so I think one day you know, it's like um, we call our brothers and sisters the Protestants. Well, they're called Protestants because of what they protested. Well, it's been 500 years. I don't know a lot of people that are not the denomination of, of that. They're not Catholic, so they're Protestant denominations that they're protesting. Nobody's protesting. The reason why I'm a Methodist, the reason why I'm a Lutheran, the reason why I'm a, I'm a assembly of God is because usually my parents were. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, grandma was was in this church. That's why I'm in this church. They're not protesting nothing. So it, now, in our day, it's about dialogue. It's about it's about coming together again. It's about understanding why it, there and there are answers to the things that separate us. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it's not faith alone. Uh, it, it is faith and works. It's uh, it, it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. No, I don't see Mary as God. She is not God, but she is our Queen Mother, and she is a Holy Mother. And so we give her the the honor and respect that we do. No, I don't pray to statues. Um, they are not graven images. Uh, but yes, it is a crucifix, and yes, He needs to be on the crucifix. It's not just an empty cross because by our stripes we are healed. And Paul even talks about that we are people of the cross. You know, so yes, I wear a crucifix. I do not wear an empty cross. I wear a crucifix. Is he still on the cross? No. I am an Easter person. I am well aware of the fact that God has risen from the dead. This is not me keeping him on the cross. This is me hanging on to the greatest gift I've ever been given. By his stripes, I am healed. What he did for me on the cross. I am, I am dead in, because I have been baptized. And I died with him in my baptism. And I will rise from the dead with him in his glory. And so, yes, I am a man of the cross, and the cross has a crucifix on it. It has a, it has a corpus on it. Yes, it does, because by those stripes I am healed, and that's what I hang on to. <laughs> I don't keep them there. That's just my reminder of his giant love letter to me, and all the other things that separate us. We can talk this out, kids. And I need to stretch. Actually, we all need to stretch our the theology as to why, why we why well, there are differences. I don't want. I don't want to say they're not. Because there are. Let's look at what those differences are and ask yourself. That's why I'm never afraid of a fight or I'm never afraid of an argument. I'm never afraid to say, let's get it on the table. Because when I was working with my brother-in-law, Mark, I didn't have the answers. And I don't have all of them now. But I do know this, and this is what I've learned over the years, that there are answers. And so I might not have them, but I can find them. And so I am not afraid of anything that is brought up because I know the answer is the Catholic Church. Period, even even with all the craziness and the scandals and everything else. So, I love the fact that people are spiritual and that people are faith-filled and everything else. And I say absolutely right because when we are born, we are given this innate knowing that there is a God, and we try to find it. We try to seek it out. Well, God has revealed Himself to us through an event. It's not a philosophy. <laughs> it's not a. It's not an approach. It's not a way of thinking. It's a person. It's an event, and it was set up for millennial, millennia before him, and he is the culmination of God's working of redemption, and he 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 finished it with Jesus Christ on the cross, and we are in a new age of understanding that, and so we are the apostles now, and so uh, 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I I love the discussion. I, I I'm not ready for everything, but I, I I'll bring it on because that's the. If I was to say, what's the one thing you've learned over these last couple of years with that Mark started this little process with you is why do you believe what you believe? And that is, there's an answer. There's an answer, and it always leads back to the church. So if wherever you're at in your faith, here's the one thing you should learn from all these hours of Michael Hoffman, and that is, if you're going to boil it down to one thing, own your faith. Stop playing. Go after it. Study. There's, there, it's worth the study. Read scripture. Read people who talk about scripture. Talk and and know the people that you're listening to, um, because all roads lead to Rome, and it is about the Catholic Church. That is the that's the understanding of of why we believe what we believe. There is a God. He does love you. You have been justified by what He did on the cross, and now you do have to accept it and make it very personal. Nothing more personal than walking up to the altar every Sunday, every day if you want, and saying, yes, I believe when somebody holds the body and blood of Christ in front of you and you go, amen, and you bring him into you, body and soul. How, how much more personal can you get? <laughs> do you have a personal relationship? Yes, I do. I take him into, I become a tabernacle every Sunday. All roads lead to Christ that started it 2,000 years ago. Come to the Catholic Church. I remember you and I went to a uh, Hillsong United concert. Do you remember this? Oh yeah, yeah, Hillsong. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing group. And you, I was standing next to you, and we, I think, I think, out of the entire stadium, we had probably the best seats because we were sitting on a back wall facing the stage. Right. And there's everywhere you can sit on a floor or everywhere else, but we. We're sitting where we're there's a group of us. There's like six or eight of us your daughter, um, Michelle, and about four or five other people that Allie knew. And she was, uh, we were all standing there and we had this amazing, amazing, amazing view. And on the train down there, you told us a story about when you were with Hillsong, you went to the Hillsong at the Dr. Pepper arena mm -hmm. and you had a medical scare mm -hmm. and elaborate on that. Well, I, I, it was very specific. I, I mean, I've told you God has been very present in my life physically. I've had a lot of physical scares and one of them was, uh, I, uh, I went through a time when I knew something was up and keep in mind out of all six boys, um, we are the poster children for for cancer. I've had a brother die of, of cancer, and uh, all of I've got. I think it was uh, five out of the seven of us, including my father, has had prostate cancer. I mean, we are the poster children for cancer of all kinds. Um, my sister's had breast cancer. It's been all over. Well, anyway, I was. Uh, I knew something was up. I was having problems, and um, I went in. To a, uh, I thought I, I, I did have a hernia, and I went into I needed some help, so I went into a care now, and a care now is one of those you know it's a quick doctor basically it's the they it's not a full hospital it's you go in for light things but I knew I was having problems and I had a hernia and I just want to know how bad it was getting blah blah blah, um, and the I've never been called back <laughs> from a care now doctor, and I got a call from the doctor. A couple days later, and he goes, Mr. Hoffman. He goes, this is Dr. So-and-so from Now. I went, hi, how you doing? He goes, well, let me ask you something. And then mm -hmm. I went, holy crud, this is this is huge. 
and he basically said, he, I need to come in. He wouldn't tell me why, but I need to come in. Scared the bejeebas out of me, so I went in. Um, and he basically said, he goes, well, your, I, I, our tests came back, and um, your, your prostate, I, when I checked you, I, I, I felt some anomalies. Your prostate's enlarged. It's hardened on one side. Um, it's irregular, and your PSA is is a lot higher than we'd like it to be. So the signs are, are not are pretty classic, and you need to go see a, a urologist. And uh, I did. I went to go see a, one that I had. Um, I had several friends that had prostate cancer, and um, they recommended a good guy. And I went in and, and got examined, and, and he basically came back and said, yeah, your PSA is over 4, which is not good. Um, but you are enlarged and you are irregular and you are hardened on one side and um, so what's going to happen is we've got some more tests that have confirmed what we've been thinking and you need to come in this was on a Friday he goes you need to come in on uh, uh, Monday and uh, we're going to talk about how we're going to approach this I'll, I'll have some, some options for you but uh, we're going to nip this in the bud and I'll blah 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 Basically, you got cancer, Daddy, and um, time to go. So um, we'll, we'll have to come up with your regime when you come back. And so uh, that weekend happened to be the Hillsong concert. So we went to Hillsong concert, and I was pretty distraught, as you can imagine. I've had a brother that passed away from cancer. My sister's got cancer. We we almost we had a few scares with her. Uh, my 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 brother and uh, my other brother and my father had just had it. it it's a uh, it was pretty scary times. I I was very distraught, and so usually when I get distraught, I go to the Lord. And so it was very uh, me and him for a couple of days. And had, I told my wife she was kind of upset and panicking as you were. So when we came to this can came to the concert, we were we were coming. We were coming for some answers, and we were coming for some prayer. And let's 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 pray. Well, we're. We got into that that concert, Jack. It was a great concert. We had the same type of seats, you know, at the end of a long concert hall where we're sitting way in the back, up on the balcony, so we could see over everything. And and they always put on a really great show. And and being from a, a somebody's got background as we were, we love praise and worship. You yeah. know, they just do a great job at that. So we're we're very into it. And there was one song where I was I was just turning it over to God, saying. And keep in mind, I was pretty pretty low, but this was a turning over point where you you lay everything at the at the foot and say, "Your will be done, Lord." I'm terrified. I don't know how how we're gonna. We're gonna obviously, we're not gonna be able to pay for it. I, all, all the all the anxiety that comes with this, dying early, grandkids, you know, kids that aren't married yet, all that good stuff, and um, and I remember one song in just dropping it all at his feet and my hands are outstretched and I am literally I cannot get my arms and my legs farther apart standing up and praying and just turning it over to him and my eyes were closed obviously closed hard because I was crying just craziness and I, I have to tell you that it was I was I was surrounded with golden light it was hot and I was just I was in it and I was just soaking and I, I was just stretching out farther and farther because I knew I was just in his lap and I was just turning it over and I just had a, a cry fest. And I and when the song was over, I, I literally sat down next to Michelle and I told her, I think I'm healed. I, 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 I'm, I have to tell you, I think I was healed. She's, so she, we were praising God the whole night. And uh, the, on Monday, 
I went in for the tests. Um, uh, he was going to give me some tests to see how we were going to approach this. He was wanted to find one more thing. And then he came back into the room, and he goes, "Can I? We need to re-examine you." And he re-examined me. Took some more blood. Ran the PSA again. He goes, well, "It was really long. <laughs> it's like drawn out." I go, oh "My gosh, this is it." And I knew what he was going to say. And he came back in. He goes. So what happened over the weekend? <laughs> and I was looking at him. He goes, I go, what's the matter? He goes, he goes, nothing's the matter. He goes, you're not enlarged. You're not hardened on one side. You're not irregular. Your PSA is at below one. He goes, you're golden, man. I love that word. I go, I'm golden? He goes, yeah. he goes you're golden. So I'm bawling in his office. He starts crying. I'm crying. Everybody's crying. And I go, so do you believe in miracles? He goes, yes, I do. And he goes, well, we got one today. And it's like, he goes, I'll see you in a year. <laughs> he goes, yeah, let's keep track on it. And uh, I want you to come back in a little while and double check, make sure that it's, you know, that everything's good. He goes, there's probably lots of reasons. It could have been a false test, blah, blah, blah. And I went, yeah, it could have been a false test. That's what it probably could have been. Mm -hmm. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, you know. I, I believe in I believe in the power of God. I believe I believe that He works in all kinds of ways. So the next Hillsong concert you and I went to with the group, uh, we're sitting there, and during the Hillsong concerts, people always call it, what, what's the word they, they don't call it a concert they call it the, another Christian word. I'm like it's a concert, folks. Come on. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, you're sitting next to me, and they were they were doing communion. Yeah. And so the Protestant Church. They say this represents the body and blood in Christ, and nice could be. Mike says no. This is the body and blood of Christ. I was looking at him like, oh my God! And Tom Jackinette was with us. Uh, sorry, Tom, and, and a bunch of other people were with us. And and I, I could hear you right next to me. You're on my right. Tom is on my left. And I'm like, so here's this guy. We're praising, worship, we're jamming out, and he's just like, no. I get, I get it, but this is it. We're not representing it. This is it, and I was just like, okay, okay. Who am I sitting next to? You know, I was just like flabbergasted. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is guy. So when I hear you talk, when I hear you, when I hear you take off, and always, and every time you get emotional, every time you get emotional, I, I, I. I don't know I don't know I do know how to take it but I don't know how to react to it right away because I'm like every time you do this it always within like 30 minutes of it you you get you choke up and I'm like again there's God you know smack him a little bit touching him to where he's conveying this message to everybody around him including the youth group he does this every time. You know this, Al. Yeah. And we're mm -hmm. just like, what the? What? What is going on? This is great. I'm loving this. And so I'm. I could hear you. I could listen to you talk for hours. Thanks, man. You you have you definitely. I don't know why Where's you're God? not a preacher. <laughs> well, we are. We are. Yes, we are. Because every Sunday they say go. Yeah. Well, you know what we say in youth group, which. Uh, we started saying a while ago, and I just love it. I just think it's funny. I said it as a joke once, and it's kind of a mantra now. And you know, what is, what's, what do Peter and Paul, Thomas Aquinas, 
Augustine, Mother Teresa, St. Catherine, John Paul II, what do they all have in common? They're dead. <laughs> God used them mightily in their time, and this is our time. So we need to we need to own it. We need to step up and own it. Yeah. Can I can I just say one thing, and I, you can cut this out about about the Hillsong thing. No. The the yeah. I mean, yes. Go ahead. The the reason the reason why the reason why this is why I'm saying we need a coming together because. The, the reason why the Hillsong communion thing felt so, you know, to most people that were there, it was a wonderful moment and it was a good thing. It was, it was wrong theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not like that, you're saying this represents the body in Christ. No, it is the body in Christ. No, it's not the body in Christ because there's nobody to consecrate it into the body of Christ. But they're representing communion flat. It's like they represent. They were representing it in their in their desire to say this is about bringing the community together. We're missing what he set up, which is no. This is really my presence, which means we need the, the whole sacrificial thing. And so it was. It was off, and that's and 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 that's why it's not about. We all are saying the same things. Let's all get together. It's it's like no, we're not saying the same things. And we have to understand the same things. We have to bring we have to bring these things together, and that's that's what I what I would love is my prayer is that it's not like man I loved being over here and that was good I loved it being over here and that was good yes they were all good but but there is lacking over here there's a misinterpretation over here and the people that have an interpretation over here don't have they don't understand the interpretation they only get the interpretation because they don't own the interpretation so we need to oh we need everybody needs to start if i was one thing if i can grab my catholics by the shoulders if i can grab my my protestant brothers and sisters by the shoulders and say we need to start really looking into our faith because because the more we learn, the more we become under one roof. Because that's the one prayer that's in the scripture that Jesus prays, is that they should all be one as you and I are one, Father. And it doesn't mean that we're all believers in Christ, so we're all one. No, we are in separate houses, and I want those houses to go away. And I want one family, one church believing the same things. Because it's the way Christ set it up. Not because, well, this church is does it better than this church there is one church people because there is one god <laughs> amen amen so amen and clarity to that yeah wow mike hoffman mike hoffman in a nutshell mike hoffman, mike hoffman gets passionate i want you should be you should be passionate about why you believe what you believe and if you want to argue about it or even talk about it or just share with it i'm always open for that come on down come on down come on down baby Church Table Productions. I'm Dan Lewis, my wonderful co-host, uh, Al Peabody. Al Peabody. Al Peabody. Thank you very much. And uh, our amazing guest, uh, honored to have you on the show, Michael Hoffman. And please come back and join us again. Yeah. Dan yeah. and Al, God bless you guys both. No joke. I really appreciate what you do. I appreciate people. Everybody has their stories. I've loved listening to people's stories because God is constantly seeking us out. And he's coming after us like wolves. And you are allowing people to tell those stories of how he does that. It's, I find it to be tremendously fun. So thank you for that. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Church Over Productions, see you next time.